All right, Joe, Philogen, man. Thanks for coming down, bro. I know, I know we've been trying to plan this for, for a while. I really appreciate you coming down for the weekend to film this, bro. It means a lot. It means a lot you having me here, bro. <laughs> like, yo, it, when you started this, I was like, man, I really hope he communicates and tells me, like, man, come on on. So bro, on I'm the, excited. On the list of guests, you're like. Number one. No, you're like top ten. I don't like, like when that. I was, <laughs> yo, like come that. on, top ten. Top ten. That yo, you know how much people are, is on that list? There's like fifty people. It's top ten's right. good. It's top ten's right. good. That's all right. All right, I, I can bump you up a bit. I can put you in the top five. Ah, lie, but like you're that. episode nine, so okay. It's like I top like ten. <laughs> but I think I might have been higher if like if I live closer. Maybe. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I would have probably had you. Like, I already would have had you before. No, but thanks. I appreciate you having yeah, me. Yeah, man. I less, bro. I mean, yeah. you're the first guest to come to fly in for the podcast, so that's that shows man, commitment. I, and I appreciate that. I had to, and it makes it makes it for like a good like excuse to come and see you, man. Hang out with the guys. Yeah, no, like, I. You know, that's, I was telling you this before, like, that's one of the reasons why I kind of enjoyed the podcast, because I get to, like, try to talk to my friends, especially some that I haven't seen in a minute. And I haven't seen you since my wedding last Your wedding. year. Yeah, last year. Yeah. So um, that was that a blast. Was, yeah, that that was awesome. that, it was a blast. It was Man, a blast. It was good seeing so many people that we knew. Yeah, I tried to Your get wedding. as much people from our, like, class and yeah. from Haiti to come. And uh, some couldn't make it and some I couldn't fit into the 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 budget but yeah. um the people that were there man it was you guys made it worth it bro honestly but honestly it's like what's really <laughs> funny is like you started a group chat for your wedding and that yeah. group chat is there like yeah boys to it, men it's That's boys to it men it hasn't left <laughs> it's still there and like i think yeah. it's never gonna go anywhere probably not so there's like, like 25 people in that group chat yeah and like what's really funny is like it's just still there it's still active you yeah. started for your wedding it'd be it's there. Yeah, it was good. And I like the, the icon picture we have. It's so funny. <laughs> I haven't really looked at it. It's, um, I, I mean, know, since the first time I posted it, it was so funny. I bro. know we have, like, another group chat again. That I know the, you had the Delma Batman Sauce. with. Oh, yeah, yeah that Sauce one is Kids. Um, Delma Sauce and It was and Kids, like, right? yeah, Delma Sauce and Kids. That one's yeah. good, too. It's really funny. Like, everybody you end up talking to, like, from Kiskeya, they're in this group chat yeah. with this group of people. Like, yeah, it's funny because like, we, we're in three different we in three different group chats that yeah. are similar with some of the same people, maybe one or two people are not in the others. Yeah, exactly. It's it kinda, was funny. It's, it's like funny. we have like Kim's in one, but she's not the, the only two. female. Yeah. Like, and like, she's the only female in any of the ones that we have. It's like, it's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But tell me about your, your flight over here. Did you, was, how long is the flight from the where flight was from Virginia, right? On paper. Yeah. From DC, Virginia area. So what's really funny is like on the flight, it tells you it's like two hours and 40 minutes, but it's, it wasn't, I, I think I landed probably like 30 minutes early. Um, so I think like the pilot had somewhere to be or something <laughs> like he, yeah, he I was mean, cruising. It, it depends because sometimes if they fly a little higher, I know they go faster, especially when they want to make up time. Oh, or get absolutely. There. They, they do. Get there um, I remember I flew one time like when I know we're probably going to talk about it more. But since we're on the subject of flights, I was flying in from Dubai to D.C. I don't remember how many hours it was, maybe 13 or something. But we landed almost an hour early, dude. And. It was like the elevation that we flew Was it one of those double-decker? Yeah, it was the double-decker Emirates. Like, wow, I haven't been like, on one of those. The Emirates is crazy because it's like the carpet, I felt like you could sleep on it. Like, <laughs> it was it was so fun. Did like, they serve you food so on nice. the flight? Oh, yeah, it was. But the thing is, like, I'm somebody, as soon as I get on a plane, like, like I fall oh, asleep oh, right away. I, I There's not. people that can't sleep on a plane. I cannot. I'm one of those I, I have my playlist ready to go, earphones. I always have sunglasses. You take sleeping pills at all? Um, from from uh, the Emirates ones, I do. Like um, from Dubai, I say I do. Like I've done a bunch of them. I've done it four times, 
but every time like I always take it like I always take it with me and then like I'll take some sleeping pills because other there's nothing else for you to do there's some yeah. people that they'll start walking the aisles and stuff I'm like that's a stretch bro yeah, it's 13 like, hours sitting I'm like I can't like I'll just fall asleep I like lean back if you do me out of him and wow that's funny um well, you remember what, what they served you in terms of food? I'm curious what the food was like on the plane. I don't remember. I think there was steak. <laughs> it seems it seems Emirate-ish oh, yeah. to have had steak and like, but it was really cool traveling through there and going through like Dubai with like the lounges that they have. Um, Lufthansa. Like at the airport, you mean? Yeah, at the airport. Okay. Lufthansa has the best like lounge, by the way. Wow. If you're ever going through one, like. Because the layovers in Dubai are crazy. They're like 12 hours sometimes, man. That's crazy. Why so, is like, that? I think most of it, too, is because, like, I was flying in from, like, Afghanistan to Dubai. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to Dubai, I guess you land, like, at 2 in the morning or something. Flights not till like, another, like, 2 in the afternoon or something to fly to, yeah. to D.C. Because I, I went to Spain, like, three weeks ago, and, we, and I was on one of those international flights, obviously. Um, and I haven't been fed a meal on a plane in a really long time and i remember when we were kids in the 90s when i used to leave haiti we used to get served food on the plane you're going to miami they're giving you food they're giving me food and i used to remember that (laughs) even the little american airline pins yes they used to hook you up and then i'm like bro i haven't eaten in a plane in a long time and when i got to the plane to go to spain they're like, what do you want to eat? I'm like, what do you mean, what do I want to eat? You guys are giving me food? Yeah. <laughs> like, so what they give you? It was uh, chicken or steak. <laughs> chicken, that's decent, <laughs> it's man. It's always the, the you know, it pasta or, or chicken. Sorry, it was pasta Omo, or chicken. Omo yoko, like, you got a little something. Yeah, and then they give you a snack a little bit later because it's like a nine-hour flight. So they yeah. feed you like three hours in, and then towards the end, they kind of give you some snacks and stuff like that. But, oh. man, I, it just, I just remembered eating, and I was like, damn, I can't remember the last time I ate on a flight. Like no, you're right, man. Long like time. You going from Port-au-Prince to Miami, really like in the air. You're probably in the air like an but hour. The, but the, but domestic flights, like from here to Cali, they don't feed you on the plane, do they? On those I've long never flown flights? that far. Like I think I've done Texas to DC and stuff. That's probably the furthest I've done. Mm. But I think they do feed you. I'm not sure, but I would assume so. When you're pete cooking, like yeah, man. Unless you bring food with you on board. And, I, yo, you know the Haitians always bring the food with them on board. The so <laughs> so how do Haitians not get caught with that stuff sometimes, man? Bro, sometimes I don't even understand how they make it through security with some of the food that they have. Because it's just dank. Like, but, it smells but so But apparently strong. if it's like, if the food is cooked, I don't know, like, don't quote me on it. But uh, apparently if the food is cooked, like, I think it could go through security. I thought as long as you bought it at the airport, you could go through with it. Yeah, but Dude, these people, they come with like their, like, container, like, women. Like, there's a with famous little picture. aluminum cans. There's a famous picture that, like, been circulating on the internet of, like, this Haitian couple. Like, the mom has, like, oh, yeah. a, like you see it, right? <laughs> yeah, seen it. She yeah. has, like, a bolzui and, like, yeah, her yeah. husband, and, like, they're eating. I'm like, it looked pretty recent. So I'm like, that, no, yeah, they still that's do interesting, it. No, man. They still, and like, they always wear like six hats. Yeah. Like, like, for some reason. Haitians' dads always have like a jacket that they got to wear, full suit. Yeah, yeah, like, they sun, actually do Sunday's best. Yeah. They're Sunday's com- best. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so funny, man. But you mentioned you were coming from Afghanistan. Was that when you were in the Army? So the, when I was flying Emirates, I was like, um, I was contracting. So mm. I was flying in, like, really funny is like, um, one of them, I was coaching um, before I left and before I left to go. So I was living in D, um, D.C. area, Virginia, and I left. I took a contract um, doing some government work in Afghanistan. 
and I was helping a friend of mine who was coaching, like getting players into his school and whatnot. And then long story short, he's like, hey, Joe, I'm not going to be there no more. This was like in June. Um, he's like, hey, I'm not going to be here no more. Do you think you want to coach? I'm like, dude, I'm in Afghanistan. Like, I get off of my contract in like two months. What do you mean you're leaving? Like, I need a real answer. I'm sending you players or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and he's like, no, no, it's for sure I'm leaving. So anyways, long story short, I send in my resume. The school contacts me. They're like, hey, um, we'd like to interview you and whatnot. I'm like, hey, can I do a Zoom interview? I'm in Afghanistan. They're like, no, like, um, if you can't come in, um, we're just going to have to move on to the next candidate. So I took emergency leave from Afghanistan, landed in Dubai, where we took that Lufthansa and all mm -hmm. that, what I just spoke about. And then I flew. This was like a Thursday. Um, my wife was pregnant with our second son, uh, with our second um, arrow and but she was already in Utah she was doing some like essential oil stuff in Utah um, and my daughter was in North Carolina that weekend was crazy because I was like the only weekend I could come in I was flying in Thursday but I land on like yeah I, I think I thought I think I landed on Thursday interviewed Friday my mother-in-law drove up with my little Mitsubishi GT Sport manual my, my mother-in-law is awesome so she came in drove that took my daughter um, and then I interviewed my wife came in, I think Sunday, cause that's when her flight was scheduled she mm -hmm. might've, and I was flying on <laughs> Monday. So I got to see my wife. This is like six months apart. Um, and got to see my wife, uh, first time with a big belly, really seeing her and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, sorry for like, less cause you were like hours. six months out. Yeah, I was. So I had seen, we had went to Haiti from Afghanistan in like December, like December, what year like is Christmas. This? this is, Demi says 2016. Okay. Okay. Like. 2017 I, either way that December I think it was like turning 2017 um, so that's where I saw a bunch of kids from Kiskiya too like we had Dikami when you went to Haiti yeah we had I was there I was in Haiti but I don't remember seeing you we you must were? have not linked up yeah I was in Haiti since 2014 when did you leave 2020 okay but it's like it was funny it was like I saw people but like I didn't know who was in Haiti too at the time mm -hmm. I was like and I was in Afghanistan, so I wasn't, like, on social media like that as what much. What year did you get married again? Um, 2013. Because you, you invited me to your wedding. Prior to that, I haven't seen – I didn't see you since It was, 80, like, probably – Since yeah, QCS. Seven, seven years probably before that. Yeah, so um, – and then I didn't see you until – after your wedding. I don't remember the last time I saw you. After the wedding, like, I – It wasn't I was still until my armies. wedding, right? Yeah, I was – yeah, it was until – no, I think I came down one time. There had to have been a time. There's no way I it think, was yeah. eight years before, man. No, I think I came down. Like, we see, like, because I was back here at some point in uh, in Florida, South Florida. But um, either way, I, I, I land. Um, I see my wife, whatever. Um, so for 12 hours. Then I fly back from Dulles, back on Emirates again to um, Dubai. No, what about the interview? You skipped the whole interview. It was Friday, so I did the interview. So you did the interview Friday for the for the coaching gig, right? For the coaching gig. This is your then, first time coaching? No, no, I've been coaching like before when I lived in Montreal, um, and then I coached also when I was in the army. I played and coached when I was in the army. Okay, okay, well, no, we, we got. Well, let's backtrack a bit. <laughs> let's backtrack yeah. a bit. Okay, so let's go. Let's go back to QCS, right? Yeah. Two thousand and two is when did you leave Haiti? I think two thousand through two. Yeah. Okay, what grade were you in when you left? Finished ninth grade. Okay, because you were one grade above me. So I left Haiti 04, and I was in the 10th grade. grade. I was in yeah. the 10th grade. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Because <laughs> we, we, we were in pre-K together, right? Yeah, pre-K. 
so damn, that's a long time, Joe. That is we, a long we've time. Been, we've been like we've known each other time. since we were like. So it's funny. My son is six, and when I tell my wife, I'm like, I've known the guys in the group chat. Yeah, I've known them younger than my son. Yeah, I mean, I've, right I've known now. Steve since I was in diapers. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and, and it's we're, awesome. We're 36 though. now, bro. Yeah. So like my bro, my my father-in-law, when you came to the wedding, Mark came, Kimberly came. My father-in-law was like, Joe, like I have friends like from high school. Yeah, that we like live down the street <laughs> that I don't even see. Like your first came, so I definitely appreciate you guys yeah. coming out. Oh man. man, dude, when you contacted me for that, because it was so random. Because yeah. again, like I don't remember the last time I saw you before, before that. that. Yeah, yeah, and then when you hit me up, and then I was like, I don't remember how I found out that Mark Anthony was going. Oh yeah. no, he wasn't. He was my plus one. Cause you gave me a plus one, and yeah. I was like, "Yo, who am I gonna bring?" So I, so I text Mark, and I was like, "Yo, Mark, you want to go to Joe's wedding?" He's like, "Joe Philogene?" He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Let's go." I already booked the hotel and and plane, yeah. just get a flight, and then yeah, I ended up coming with Mark, and bro, I was so excited to go because I had never traveled like to the. I mean, I've traveled places in the United States, but I never went without family. I, yeah. This was my first time like traveling alone. You know, and it was and really then, great. There you go in North Carolina. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was awesome. And dude, and your 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 in laws were were awesome in the house. We got to shoot um, in the backyard, and I'm like, yeah. bro, this is deaf. We're in America, baby. It, it didn't get it. more American than that. We <laughs> had barbecue. It. Oh yeah, it was it was it was like, a, it was a great time, man. And man. I really, actually, <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day when I was at my. I was like, damn. I remember I was at Joe's wedding. I remember I had a speech. I, man, I'm, it must have been so. Bad, bro. Like I'm it was thinking awesome. about like all the stuff I could have said. You have yeah, a video of it. I would love. To I don't. <laughs> I don't have a video of it, but I think that's something else that like I have to go and look for. I yeah. don't know. Like I think I might. Because then I'm unfiltered, so I was like, "What is he gonna say?" Marketing was like, "What are you gonna say, bro?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't have a speech written down. I'm just yeah. gonna wing it. You know, yeah. like just I, I just wing everything. So it doesn't matter to me. Uh, I just I just don't want to have, have like things kind of spill out. You know, you're yeah. drinking and stuff. You get kind of comfortable. Yeah, you know, I want to say some some old stuff, and then Aaron is like. Bro, who is that? Yeah, right. <laughs> Why are you never told me about that person. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of wild, but I really appreciate that. That because I don't even know why you thought of me to send me that, but that was Absolutely. great, man. Like, like the thing is, like with with Haiti and like the friendships, it's like you have that continuing that that relationship, even when you're far away from somebody mm-hmm. that grew up kind of the same way you yeah. did. It's like it's impossible for you not to feel yeah. a connection. I don't know yeah. if that makes any it sense. It makes sense because that's how it happens. Well, it makes sense because we can relate. We're obviously in the same yes. situation. So, like, for example, with Nick, when I invited Nick to my wedding, I haven't seen Nick since the eighth grade. Yeah. So I'm like, bro, you want to come to my wedding? He was Showed like, up with Hell his yeah. wife. And, like and it's like yeah. you never – it's like we never split apart. Yeah. He looks the same. We act the same around each other. It's absolutely like it was like we we're back in the eighth grade. Yeah. Especially when we we're at our wedding, it felt like it was a school reunion. It, almost. That's literally what it felt like. Minus to me. the girls, unfortunately. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> none, yeah, of the, like none of the girl classmates were there. Yeah, it's really funny too. It's like the relationship. Like most of the guys from QCS don't have like a relationship like with the girls, which is weird. Um, like not weird in a bad sense. It's just yeah, like, it, I just think it ends up being weird when, when obviously like they get married and stuff, and they yeah. kind of have like a man, and they're like, "We'll be talking to like six other guys all yeah, the time." In it's a like, group oh, chat. It's like, "What are you She's laughing my, at?" They're my okay. best friends. Like, you spend more time with your best friends than with me. Yeah, like, oh. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how I always feel like. But every time I do see them, like whether I see Christina or Doris or Kimberly, yeah, it's like you know, it's the same it's relationship. The same, yeah. We just don't stay in contact. Like you know, obviously the boys. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But they they stay in contact within them. Like Sylvie and them, they 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 talk. They're they talk. Still, they're okay. still very much friends. Like Liana. Yeah. Like, you know, she lived in Canada and all these things. The thing with QCS, what was great about it, 
Um, and, and I, I want to get to talk about the school system because you and I both have different schools. We went to Haiti and we went to different American schools after. So I, yeah. I want to talk about the comparisons. But another thing that I really appreciate with the school is the diversity of yes. all the missionary kids that would come yep. from different parts of uh, the U.S. and also part, different parts of the world. It was really diverse in that sense. And um, it, really, it was really great to have a place where, um, although I'm not a big, I wasn't a big fan of the schooling system, which does not reflect how the school is today. It's, a, it's under a different direction today. So when we, when we discuss about our experience in the 90s, it's not a reflect of what's happening currently, just yep. to be clear. Yep. Like, it's not a f uh, uh, an effect on it today. It's what we, it was what I experienced in, in the 90s. But, man, did I love going to school just to hang out with my friends, bro. Like, it made, because of that school, I have, I have friends that, like, that are like brothers, man, like you guys. Absolutely. That, I loved my time at Kiskiya. Yeah, me like, too. Uh, in a sense, like, it's, like, there's obviously, there's good and bad in everything. But mm -hmm. I have so much good that came out yeah. of it. Especially the friendship, the relationships. Exactly. Like, the memories that I have are, like, unbelievable. Like, yeah. I, I fell in love with Sloppy Joe's because Bro. of Mr. Bob. <laughs> man, dude, talking about Mr. Bob, I hope he listens to my podcast. That'd be, that'd be a miracle. But, dude, Mr. Bob was not the, how would you say this, the cleanest of people. Yeah. My man's was not, like. I can see, I can see that. <laughs> Like he dude. was kind of rough too. Like bro, and he was when he's like he was he was a big dude. He was he must have been three hundred pounds. But we were young, so that three Yo, dude, that like, man was three hundred pounds. We were young. <laughs> the guy's big. probably one hundred twenty pounds. No way, bro. And like I'm exaggerating. No way, I, I definitely know My he was. Man a, was big, bro. He was a big fella. Yeah, like, he was a big fella. Yeah, yeah. He was a big, I remember when we used to do PE and he used to run around the basketball court and just uh, we would always make fun of him. Obviously, he was running around. Stuff? He used to like do his little exercise. Really, like, he'd run around the basketball court. I never court see, saw him laps. standing. Yeah. I always saw him seated. Exactly. <laughs> trying to sell you yeah, some or, yeah. or hard-boiled eggs. Yeah. Like, I always like, Yeah. There was hard-boiled eggs? I never... Oh, I remember... It's something I, it's something I never ate outside my house. Zimui. Yeah. Something <laughs> I never ate outside my house. Um, but, dude, I remember one time... I'll tell you this story. I remember one time his daughter had lice. And there was this lice thing going around the school yeah, at the time, That was right? the first time I think I ever knew yeah. what lice was. Yeah. Dude, she had lice. And I remember her walking into the... It was lunchtime, so we're all in line. You know how you kind of stand in line? It kind of goes around the building yeah. a bit. And uh, she just skips everyone because, you know, her dad is the head person. So she skips everyone. She walks inside, starts scratching her head everywhere. She's like, Daddy, what's for lunch? Blah, blah, blah. Dude, I immediately just grabbed my tray, no food, and just walked out. Like, everybody knew already that she had lice? Oh, I, I don't know. I knew she did. I, don't, I can't say if everybody uh, did, okay. but I knew. The, the, people knew she had it, but Why was dude, she, she was school? so nonchalant. Bro, I don't know, man. Like, okay. people would not miss school. Like, I never miss school. Dude, I could be sick. My mom always sent me to school. Yeah, Haitian parents are weird. Like, I know Mr. Bob wasn't Haitian, but, yeah. like, that was that was weird, man. Haitian parents do not let you miss school. Yeah, they don't. Like, I, I think in my entire life, I missed two days of school. Yeah. And one of them was, like, my last day at QCS. <laughs> that was the only time I – like, the only time I missed school at QCS, I think, was just that. Yeah. That was it. Besides that, I – Every day, mom and dad, like, no matter what, I'm going to be at QCS. Yeah, and my mom would always be, like, early to pick me up. Yeah, And every day I prayed to, for her to be late just one time so I could go out and just play with my friends because recess is never enough, you know? Man, it was never enough. Like, I remembered, you know what's funny is, like, kids right now probably don't know the sign of the honk 
of their parents' vehicle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, see, I see what you mean. You know what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, you know exactly I don't where I'm going. Ma- yeah, because now they probably just Because nobody honks. It's yeah. a text, right? It's a text now. But, like, probably. our text was a honk. Yeah, you would know who's it honking. Was like, it was, oh, that's, know, that's Joe's mom. That's Joe's mom. Like, like, beep, beep, beep. You're like, oh, I got to go. <laughs> yeah, you got to go. <laughs> I guess it's kind of the same as, like, I guess, with an alarm or something. But um, like, let's talk about the the curriculum. Because yes. I, I feel like as much as I like the school and, and all the memories I have of it, I wasn't very fond of the education. And when I got to the States, I just – I don't know if I was just a bad kid and I didn't pay attention. And I wasn't the brightest tool in the shed. And I never liked to study to begin with. So maybe I'm the wrong person to judge the school's curriculum. But I just remember it really being very religious-based. And there wasn't a lot of exposure to outside things. You know, if I remember correctly, there was, it was very – Bible-centric and very religious. Like, um, we had Bible study. We had chapel. We didn't really have, like, like Haitian history, I feel like. I, I don't remember Haitian history. Anna Melsino came up with that a little bit um, towards the end while I was leaving. And this is where it's like I might be wrong on certain things. Like, I doubt it. But from my understanding, this was when I was gone. My understanding was mm-hmm. Madame Melsino came up with um, – and she started this in front of me, like, where she started doing, like, some Haitian – um, history and teaching it to us um, and then I guess like where there was an issue was where she was teaching um, Haitian like Haitian history has voodoo in it right. um, regardless like I'm Christian um, Catholic um, mm-hmm. but the history of Haiti is predominantly on voodoo during mm-hmm. the time of Napoleon and everything um, and she was teaching that but then I guess some missionaries and everybody else didn't really want that to be taught so then there was friction between her and right. whatnot. But you think that's why she like, was let go? I believe so. Um, that's what I was told. Because um, mm-hmm. the school is funded by a church in the States. Yeah. So I think it was in Madame Nebraska Madame is, like, so close to my family. Like, miss her dearly. Like, when she passed, I was in the Army. Um, and I didn't know, find out, because I was in training during the time mm-hmm. that she passed. Um, I don't remember the year she passed. you think she passed pre-earthquake? Um, post. It was, it was, it was post, post, right? Yeah. Um, I think 2012, I was in training, um, and I didn't have my phone on me and whatnot. Um, but we were very close to her. Like, she looked out for me a lot at Kiskea. I remember at chapel. Like, I'm a horrible singer, but I think in Madame Maltino's ears, I was, like, the an amazing – I was, <laughs> I was an amazing singer. Because no matter what, like, I know when it's time to sing and everything, I'm trying to s- slouch in my chair. It's like, Joe? And then, like, I'm like – and I'm Latino, like I can't you remember sing. some of the songs. Like, I, I remember. No, I don't. Well, I Pharaoh, remember a lot Pharaoh. of the, I remember a lot of the songs. Yes, but oh, okay. mostly like <laughs> I, throughout. Right, it's not like strictly from Kiskea, but there was a group that a choir that used to come all the time. They were called um, really Celebrate Singers. But apparently, I never like, remember no. It was a choir that would come down, and like they were called Celebrate Singers. I've asked everybody at Kiskea about them. So whoever's I never, listening, I don't remember these people. Whoever's listening from Kiskea, I need you to find these people for me. Because uh, it, it was like amazing music. They would come and do concerts. And it was like great music. I, I think it was, they were called Celebrate Singers. During school. Like yeah. th- on Thursdays when we had chapel. It wasn't like it was rare. It was like they would come in from the States, I guess, and came wow, in. I don't know why stuff. I don't remember that at all. But yeah, I they remember were, a lot it was of stuff a, from It my was past. amazing. It was good music. Um, but I think they were called Celebrate Singers. I'm not sure. Mm, interesting. Okay, so you leave in 2002, right? Yep. And you're in 10th grade. Where do you go? We go to Montreal. Um, so 
we end up leaving to go to Montreal. Like that's when Haiti was insecurity, like insecurities yeah, and, and everything. Yeah, and was was going to into exile, and then um, Guy Philippe was coming in to do that. No, I think that was 2004 that that happened. That was oh, before that, I left. Oh, okay. That was before I left. So that was after you left then, because I left in 04 because of that. I mean, yes, I mean after. Sorry. Yeah. It was after I left. Um, the whole Augustine thing and like um, Guy Philippe and everything. Um, but yeah, so when we left like right, yeah, 2002, I believe, um, we went to Montreal. Um, that was the height of like getting robbed and everything. And like, obviously during Haiti, kidnapping has been like a thing. And I, mm-hmm. but it really started there in that sense of kidnapping. Yeah. So like, um, there was a situation like, it's a really cool story. Um, I was on vacation and it happened July 26. I remembered, um, I think 2001 or something. Um, and I was in Montreal at my cousin's house and for some reason I woke up like at eight, this is the summer, obviously, like, you know, when you're in Haiti, you go mm-hmm. to the States or Canada, Europe and spend time with family. And I just rolled out of bed and I got on my knees and just started praying for some reason. Um, and I say for some reason, because it was not something I typically do rolling out of bed. Like I literally rolled, got on the side of the bed and got on my knees and started praying. And then I start praying and this was like eight o'clock. So AM PM AM AM. Okay. So I wake up, rolled out like I didn't stand. Oh, gotcha. Didn't go so brush my teeth, Got it. rolled out of bed, started praying. And then July 26, um, I talked to my parents that day, blah, blah, blah. Nothing. Um, July 28th, my mom was supposed to come in with my grandmother, my dad's mom. Um, so they end up coming. Um, she ends up coming and like she sits me down. She's like, Joe, let me talk to you. And like everybody calls me Tidro. So she's like, Tidro, come over here because my dad's name is Joseph. And everybody calls him Joe, so Tidro. So he's like, Tidro, come on. Um, so she sits me down. She puts me, like, on her lap. Like, mind you, I'm, like, 14, 15, I think. <laughs> like, she, she sits. Come she's here, like, little like, Joe. Sit you know, like, she, I'm sitting. She's like, she explains to me how she got robbed and, like, was temporarily kidnapped, I guess, in a sense. And that was, like, I was like, when did this happen? She was, like, July 26th, like, at 8.30. And, like, mm. to this day, I'm, like, my prayer saved my mom and my grandmother and a friend of them in the car. Wow. Was, uh, so yeah. you weren't there when that happened. You were in no, Montreal. I was in, I was in <laughs> Montreal. So like my mom was coming after to come and spend time with, with me and like see family as well. So it happened. Like I started praying like eight, eight thirty, Boom. Like that it was around the same time. Crazy. Like 30 minutes later from afar. I'm in Montreal. She's in Haiti. 30 it's minutes like later. It's like you had the sense. It was a sense. And like, I've never done that sense before. Not praying, but rolling out of bed and getting on my knees. That was wow. crazy. Well, something yeah. similar happened to, to my family and I um, in 2004, which is so why we left. La- so, uh, I mean, I was I, around that time, since you already left, um, I, w- I had left QCS in the eighth grade, but I, I left the school not because of political instabilities. I left Haiti in 2004 because of, of political problems. Um, but I wasn't in the school. I was at Caroline Villard's school when she first formed it. So I was, I was there. But at one point, it got so bad that you were missing weeks, sometimes months of school. Like, you weren't going to school. And I think I want to say it was in around January, right in the turn of the new year. And I guess my, my grandparents and um, my uncle were, and my dad and mom were leaving work, each in separate cars, right? Uh, they were leaving work one day and um, they were coming home and I was already home at the time and I just remember them coming in like pulling into the house and my uncle reacted very hysterically when he got out of the car like he, he banged on the hood of the car like like 
at first I thought it was like he was upset about something, but thinking about it now as an adult, it was like a relief. Like, I can't believe this just happened. Yeah. Like, this could have been so much worse. So my mom literally walks upstairs, comes straight to us and says, pack your bags. We're leaving on Monday. And that was, this was like a Saturday. Wow. And we literally, in two days, we were in the States. And that was it. And uh, I didn't get to say goodbye to my friends or anything like that. We just left. I was a junior in high school, uh, halfway through. So I, I did a little bit of, um, I did a, a kind of tutor thing when I got here. Yeah. Uh, and then as soon as I finished, I started my first public school in Cypress Bay High in Weston. Yeah. And I had culture shock. Because our schools in Haiti were max, what, 200, 300 people between pre-K to kindergarten. I go to Cypress Bay. Pre-K to 12th grade. Uh, yeah, pre-K to 12th grade, sorry. Yeah. And then I go to the school here, which is just high school, which is 10, 11, 12, and there's 3,000 kids. Yeah. Where do I start? I never took a bus in my life. I had to take the bus for the first time. I don't know how to dress to go to school. We had, had uniforms, uniforms. Yeah. the whole time. So all this was a factor, and... I've never been in an environment where I was alone and I knew no one. Yeah. Like nobody. Like, and I remember walking into school the first day, getting out of the bus. I felt like I walked into a movie set. It was like everything I've seen on TV. Kids everywhere. Security, buses, kids laughing. It's a whole groups, operation. <laughs> groups of kids, jocks, goths, whatever. They're just all of, everybody's segregated in their own little groups and then there's everybody else walking around and Everybody seems to Probably know what they're doing. Probably not even talking to and each I'm other, like, too, at times. I have no idea yeah. what to do. I was lost. It took me forever to figure out where my classes were, where to go, just to make friends. And the first thing I did, and it's the first thing I always do, I open my ears and I listen. I listen to the most familiar thing in the world to me. And what is that? Creole. Yeah. I look and listen for Creole. And I found my little group of Haitians that were... In the same situation as me that had left Haiti yeah, because of the same problems, yeah, yeah. in a rush. And then those people that I met, those Haitians that I met that grew up in Haiti, I did not know them from Haiti. Yeah. I met them at that school. It was very interesting. Had so you kept in contact with some of them? Some of them, no. Um, I did not. Um, at one point, when we graduated high school, we kind of just went our separate ways and oh, okay. kind of lost contact. Um, but every time I do bump into them, I do say hi, and, you know, you always yeah. have that commonality of, like, we Absolutely. grew up. But never, it's not like it was for, like, you guys, you know, where I knew you guys a lot more. I got to, I got to bond with them for about two years, and then yeah. after that, we just kind of, like, split Anything apart. you could add to, like, what your uncle was banging on the hood or anything? No, what, according, so the story goes that when they were on their way home from work, um, my parents took a regular route that they took, and then my grandparents and my uncle took a separate route. Uh, I guess they were detouring. They were probably going to go to the supermarket or something. They were detouring. They were going up to Pentroville instead of taking the Boudon Road to yeah, Musso, to go to your, yeah. yeah, to go to my house. And and they got stopped by a group of a, of a bunch of people, right? Uh, and, and they were telling them to get out of the car and, you know, being reluctant, they didn't want to get out of the car. My, my, my uncle's in the car. Her, her wife is there, and she's hysterical. My grandfather is the car behind with my grandmother. And um, they're all being, they're all, they're all being, um, how do you say that? Uh, yeah, surrounded. they're surrounded by a bunch of people. There's guns in their face. And, and then one of these guys come out of the crowd 
moves everybody over. This is my 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 uncle telling me the story. Moves everybody because he knows my uncle. Yeah. And um, this is why I, this is why it pays to not disrespect people on the street. Always treat everybody with, with kindness. Respect. You don't know who is gonna be Absolutely. there to help you one day. This guy pulls up and looks at the gang leader. And is like, no, no, no. Th- these these guys are cool. This guy is really cool. He he's helped me out a lot. They let and then. The, the, the gang leader was very reluctant. He did not want to do it, but he was like, all right, fine, no problem. They let him go, my gr- and that's how my grandpa- gr- grandparents and uncle got back. A few months later, they ended up killing this guy. The one that saved? Yeah. Do you know, like, why? Like they probably killed him because of that. It's a payday. Think about it. Like, like So that, it was for like, kidnapping, basically? Yeah, I, I, that's what I thought it was. That's what okay. I think it was. I mean, I'm, I'm like four, 15 years old at yeah, the time, yeah. so... I'm assuming it's a kidnapping because you know okay, you yeah, can't, yeah. they're not. I'm not. It's not a murder thing like kid like a, they're trying yeah. to kill you. They want money. Because in my know, mind, I was thinking of like barricade, like um. Yeah, so like it's a barricade of, 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 like, of a lot of people. Not not necessarily a roadblock, but it's just okay. people. So think about like 100 people or 50 people on the street. Like yeah. your car can't go anywhere. Okay. You know, you gotta wait for them to move. So so they so this guy helped them out, and then he would come and visit, you know, the family at the family business at the ice cream shop in downtown. Yeah. And um, every once in a while, but they ended up killing him like a few months after that. Wow. And what you said is true. Like, I have a similar situation like that. My mom always tells me the story um, of she was in the Malshi one time and like, you know, like Haiti, they have the Mashan they're selling like on the ground or whatever. And my mom always had certain Mashan she always went and get produce from. Um, And one of them, like. My mom's really cordial. My mom's very nice with everybody. So is my whole family. We respect everybody. You never know who's going to be able to help you, mm-hmm. whatever. And you don't do it for that, but you're just cordial with everybody. Yeah. But they're and very nice in return. They're humble people. It's not like man. they absolutely. treat you with hate and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So my mom's looking to buy stuff. And then the lady, come to find out, she knew this kid was going to come and rob my mom in the Mashiach. And she's like, starts yelling at my mom, causing a scene. My mom's looking at her like, why are you yelling at me? She's like, She's like, you don't see all my stuff here. What are you doing? Walking on all my stuff. My mom's like, what? And then my mom, like, she's pretty quick. She's like, what is she saying? She's like, oh, okay. That's something crazy. And she makes a big scene. And then after that, she tells my mom, like, yeah, this guy was coming to rob you right behind you. So Interesting. Well, it, it, yeah. the, and even the, it circles back to everything, too, when I tell, like, people that throughout my life and, like, living in the States, a lot of people don't know these stories or – haven't experienced anything near what you and I have. Yeah. Have I mean, the first time I saw a dead body, bro, I was I was on my way to it was elementary school. I was on my way to QCS one day, and it was on Delma. This guy, this guy's head was not on his body, and it was on the middle of the street. And I remember driving right past, and my mom was like, "Don't look, don't look." And how do you not look? Yeah. Like it's surreal. Yeah. Like. It's crazy. So, like, Haiti has taught me a lot, bro. So, two quick stories about that, too, is that um, I was going, uh, we would go to Leogan on the weekends, um, like, on Saturdays and stuff, go see my grandmother. And there was a back road, which right now is, like, where all these gang members are right now. And they, it would be dead bodies on the side of the road, like, burnt up. Like, you would see them on the side of the road all the way it's burnt. Crazy. And, like, what's really crazy is that you're seeing this as a young kid. So, it's like... I don't want to say you're desensitized to it, um, to death, but you look at it, you're just like, huh, that's a dead body again. Like, pull the win, put the windows up. That's that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's the reaction. That's definitely something that's you the, want to do. That's the re- but that's the reaction to yeah, it. You see a dead body and you're just like, oh, 
Yeah, but when you like, but what's crazy for us, it's like we see it, but for my, our parents, yeah, they've this is a they see it all the time. Yeah, you know, especially our grandparents who grew up during the time of Juvalier. They've seen stuff, so it's like like it's pull the window up and like I saw a dead body there, and I remember another time too. We were going, we we're passing Wutayopo, we we're going to Delma. I think we we're gonna go to an ice cream shop or something. Um, and then we see this guy being chased by a group of people. Mind you, this is probably early 2000s, being chased by people. And we're like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, the people are, he's probably a robber or something. And you know, Haitian justice, um, <laughs> they're, they're running after this guy. And we finish having our ice cream. We come back and we see, like, you know what Pelo is? Like, like, they put him on tires. They had wow. him on tires, lit him up. Lit him up. And, like, and we knew it was the same guy. Like, we saw his face because he was running right by our car. Like they he must have did up. something bad to do to get that. Yeah, like at they that don't time, just, they like, don't just yeah, torture to do you like that, that for nothing. Like, yeah, yeah, he did he something pretty did something, bad. Yeah, yeah. like Haitian but like justice, you said, those man. Haitian justice, they, it, they go, they they go barbaric. It, it's very barbaric, and like some people will hear some of these stories and be like, "That's crazy." I'm like, "It is crazy," and it's not. We're not desensitized to that point where we're like, "Oh no, that's normal." It's 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 crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we grew up with so much corruption and that crazy when we got here. People are sheltered here, man. Like they're, they're they don't get to see a lot of what's really happening. You know, it's happening so big in the, in the United States. Happening yeah. in the world, some of this stuff I'm sure happens in the United States. It's so big. Yeah, but you it also don't get covered. to see it. Yeah, exactly. It's not covered it's not the covered. same way. And like, um, and one thing that I think it really helped me too, growing up in Haiti, was some of the stuff that I seen in Afghanistan myself. Is having experienced that, like seeing death so early, mm-hmm. and had knowing to adjust and knowing how to carry on. So when did you join life? the army? Um, 2011, 12, I think I joined and I got on 2015. So what did you do so like, after, after high school? Well, you went to college. What did you study? So <laughs> I, I finished high school in Canada in Montreal. So, um, so I went into Dawson college. Um, I was, I went into, I want to go into civil engineering because you know, Haitian parents, there's only three jobs that exist on earth. Doctor, avocat, engineer that's it right <laughs> that's so it. <laughs> i was like all right so i want to be civil engineer i couldn't get into the program for some reason at the time so i went to electrical engineering my first class was four hours long and i sat in front of a circuit board i was like i'm not doing this i was like i can't sit inside of a circuit board and my mindset was i was still going to transfer over to civil engineering i was like i went into business and it just became kind of easier because i was i was um playing basketball it was easier at the same time to do schoolwork um, while you're playing. And then also I was throwing parties, um, like college parties, whatever, right? And when you throw that and it was like, it had the business sense in it where you're, you're able to run a business by having like these events for college, college events, right? So that ended up, and I stuck with it like till this day, like right now I'd, I ended up having like what, went to school, did a undergrad in sports management, another one in management then got the MBA, so, like, and working on the doctoral um, of business right now. So business is just what I stuck with. But what's really funny is, like, I almost, like, that wasn't where I thought my life was going to go, was, like, doing business Were part of a courses. fraternity? No, no, like, that's not you for me. You didn't join any of those things? Yeah, uh, I no, like. I didn't get to do that, honestly. I didn't go to a did university. Did that even interest you to do? I would have loved to because it's, again, I'll go back to, to when I went to, uh, when I first went into into high school yeah it felt like a movie set that's what i th- that's what i wanted college to be like that american pie yeah that's what i wa- i wanted that i wanted that uh fraternity life yeah so bad but i never got i never went to university i just stuck around the community college and then i did um 
I did uh, aut- automotive technology, which was mechanicien, yeah, uh, mechanics for cars, um, general mechanics, and then I went into baking school after that. So, how did you get into baking? Like, so how did you get into baking, and how did you get into production? So, yeah, that goes. That's a pretty long story. So, after the earthquake in 2010, I had. Um, Again, like I said, I was in university, so I wasn't really doing anything in school. Like, I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? Um, and I went to uh, mechanic school, and this was 2009, I think. It w- 2008. It was a two-year program, and in 2010, I graduated. Same year as the earthquake, but I moved to Haiti to go help out, you know, six months after the earthquake. So I was in Haiti for about a year, and I was working with the family business, Right. And um, being, I guess, naive, young, you know, I'm like, I, I think I can try to do something on my I want to try to do something on my own, not having the enough experience to actually know what I'm doing. I tell my grandfather, like, I think I'm going to go back to the States and try to do something with one of my friends. You know, at the time we were talking about maybe doing a hookah bar with you know, like a hookah lounge here in the States. So I left to come try to do that. But before I left, <laughs> my grandfather told me, that job you had is not going to be for you. It's not going to be here for you when you get back. Like, I'm like, damn, I, I made a mistake now. Like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I go to the States. I'm like, okay, I'm determined to try to get this thing to work. Come to the States, I realize I did not know what I was doing. A lot harder than I thought it was. A lot more capital than I thought it needed. Yeah. So me and my partner were like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. So we ended up not doing it. So now I was stuck. I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just taking, I, I went back to school taking just mundane classes like Italian one or whatever, right? And I was itching to get back to Haiti because growing up in Haiti with family businesses, most there's two routes. Either you try to go to college, you do your own thing, or like most people do, they go to college, study business, go back to Haiti, inherit their family business, and it goes down the line like that, right? Yeah. So that, for me, that was my Which paid Which is beautiful road. to me, too. Yeah, though. it's great. That yeah. was my paid road. That's what I wanted to do. I made my mistake. I left Haiti when I shouldn't have. I should have stayed, and I didn't. Now I'm in the States. I don't know what to do. My grandfather doesn't want me to come back. He's like, there's no job for you. You wanted to figure yourself out? Figure it out. Bro, two years in, I don't know what I'm doing. No, not two years. Sorry. About a year later, my grandfather is in the States. You know how he always comes in. He comes in every every few months. So we were ta- he was talking about how... He wanted to open another business, like an ice cream parlor uh, slash bakery type of thing. And I was like, hey, I'll go to school for baking, you know, if it gets me a job. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, all right, cool, fine, we'll do that. So he pays my school, uh, Le Cordon Bleu. I went for two years, graduated in 2014, moved to Haiti, and um, that's where I met my wife. And then the country starts to go really bad. Did you like, know your wife before that? No, I never. I never met my wife before okay. when I met her. Yeah. Um, I met her at a party, uh, twenty in twenty fourteen, like a few months after I got there. The only person I knew in Haiti when I moved there was Steve. Okay. You know, wow. um, and uh, Steve was the one that introduced me to most of his side of his friends. You know, okay. and um, which became my friends. And I was one. I was at one of those parties where is that's when I met I met Liska. Um. So now now I'm in Haiti. And now I'm working with the family business again. But for unfortunately, um, Haiti starts to go bad again. You know, yeah. it starts to get really bad. There's a lot of kidnapping. Then the pandemic happens. And then the most unfortunate thing happens. Um, there's a second. Uh, there's another attempt that on my grandfather and my grandmother one day when they're leaving work. But um, this time my grandfather was killed in the process. 
Um, and, my and my grandmother was shot like about four or five times. I don't know, remember the amount. Um, and uh, she's with us now. She's not, she, she made it. But my grandfather did not, did not unfortunately, did not make it. And that kind of like solidified. I didn't know this. Yes, that kind of solidified. Uh, I was already leaving. So my grandfather already knew I was leaving the country with my wife because the country wasn't good. And we didn't want to invest into the country anymore. We didn't want to buy a house. And we're like, we don't see change happening. And it's been three years and there's still no change. And now we still have, yeah. now we have no president. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really bad. So we left, we left because we needed to leave. But um, the unfortunate thing that happened to my grandfather also did not make us want to stay even more. So Absolutely. That, that, was, that was a really, a really big blow for us. And it was a big blow to the, to the family as well. Um, my departure led to everybody else's departure. My aunt had to leave and all the business had to close down. So now, now we don't have that that kind of like the family ties, the family like ties anymore in terms of business. You know, and so it, it, it got, sucks it got for Haiti. Out. Something like that, man. It's like you have like this longevity, and it's just like now yeah. taken away. And they're just like two old people too. It's like they did nothing. So it's like it's it's kind of hard to think about like, um, like the whys. Like why do people do? Certain it was targeted things? or something general it's, or something. It's hard to say. Okay. It, yeah. It's it's hard to to really know the truth. You okay. know, um, all you have is recollections. Like the. The driver, the the driver's story and my grandmother's story, it, it's hard. Well, my driver is, but my grandma's story is, it's heartbreaking. If she tells you that she, that, that that story, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Um, like her POV, but my but the driver, because they were sitting in the back seat, but the driver, driver was the first one to get shot, and he got shot in the head. He survived. The bullet ricochets off his skull, like ricocheted. Like he he said he heard it go thing, and then he just blacks out. Right. He knocks out for like about. 10 seconds in that meantime fire is getting exchanged between my grandfather and the gunman oh your and grandfather shooting. my grandfather shot shoots immediately after the driver gets shot okay. you know but my grandfather has a five shooter so okay yeah yeah there's not much thinking process going I, I'm, I'm assuming just reaction so he starts to shoot and then they start to open fire and the car is getting bombasted with bullets he gets hit my grandfather my grandmother gets hit the driver wakes up and just immediately steps on the gas and just puts a big distance between us, between them and the, and the car. And by then, enough Haitians have intervened and everybody started scattered. And then my grandmother gets put on a tap-tap, gets driven to the hospital. Meanwhile, I'm at work. And um, there's, this, there's this organization in Haiti called HERO that has this the emergency service yeah, or yeah. whatever. So we had them on the phone, and my grandmother was trying to dial the number on her phone and she couldn't she ended up calling my aunt who i'm working with yeah. and my aunt's freaking out and people in haiti are dramatic sometimes so sometimes i i take the freak out as in oh, what's wrong now yeah. or like what's going on so I, i'm not really not really you're understanding in the bakery shop she, I, i'm in the bakery shop okay. right and then she tells me something's happened something's happened she can't even hold her phone she's like i yeah. need you to call here i need you to find out yeah, so she's freaking out, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So I'm talking to a friend of mine that works for Hero. His name is Hunter. And I'm talking to him directly, and, and, and at this point, I'm in my car, and I'm heading down to the scene because I know where they are. Cause yeah. I, cause I, where cause was it? They were at La Lue, La Lue. The, oh. road, the, the road of La Lue. They're literally yeah. like two blocks away from the, from the job, okay. from, the, from, the, from the ice cream factory downtown. Um, and, then, and then I'm on my way down, and I'm talking to Hunter, who is on call with the ambulance. And, I, and I'm like, okay. Have they got to the scene? Are they going to the hospital? Are they alive? Like, I don't know anything. Yeah. So the whole time I'm driving, bro, at one point, it hits me that 
they could be dead. Yeah. And it's because you weren't worst, even thinking of that at the time. It's the worst feeling that could possibly come to you when you're going when you're going to a place where you might see two 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 people two that you love members. two family members yeah. dead. So I'm on my way to the site and then my friend tells me he's like, No, they're at the hospital, they're at the hospital. I was like, both of them are at the hospital? Like, he's like, I don't know. I just know that the ambulance is at the hospital. So I go to the hospital. I did not go to the crash site. And I'm glad I did not yeah. because my grandfather was there, you know. But you know who did go? Um, for those who have been following the podcast, episode three, I think Gerard, my uncle. Yeah. He was at the scene. He got to the scene. Wow. I went to the hospital. The first thing I do when I get to the hospital is I run to my other uncle that's there. And, and, and I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and I'm like, where, where are they? He's like, your, your grandmother is, is an ambulance. He's coming. I'm like, okay, where's Papi Toto? He's like, he's dead. Straight up just told me, like, he's dead. Because and, and, he's trying to figure out the whole situation. And immediately, like, like unimagined, undescribable emotions are, are pouring out of me at this point, right? And I'm like, I have to make the most difficult call I've ever had to make in my life. I had to call my mom. Your mom. To tell her that her dad just got killed. And, and where was she? She, she was, was in the States. She left Haiti in 2004 and never went back. Okay. <clears throat> that was the hardest call I've ever had to make in my life. And, and um, it's something <laughs> I wish nobody has to do because it's not, it's not, it's yeah. not place. Just to f- come up with the words to try to explain to the person like what's happening. And their, their reaction is like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I'm like, I I don't even, I can't even speak, you know, yet alone try to tell you what's going on because I'm trying to process the thing and I'm seeing it in my face, right? And then um, I remember getting off the phone and then my grandmother comes in on the stretcher. She's going into the operating room, right? And she's like, and then as soon as I saw her, man, I broke down like like a child. Yeah. Like I just assumed like they were both dead, you know? So it was a relief to see her uh, pull through. Because she's 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 a strong she's a fighter strong strong woman man like the the shit she uh, the stuff she encountered it's it's, it's been rough lot, for her it's, a it's been rough for her yeah. yeah she has a lifetime of scars and she wears them like you can see them like they they've taken the toll on her and um, but now that she's with us she's a little bit more like relaxed and but she can't move her right arm like she. Like she, she was shot four times, you she said? She was shot four times. The bullet that hit her arm was the one that went up to block the one that was going to her head. Like, if she didn't have this instinct to pull that hand up and get hit in the arm, we, she wouldn't be with us today, and I would have to bury her. So it was a kidnapping them. attempt, in I'm a sense. assuming it was a kidnapping attempt, or it could have been uh, a robbery or anything, you know? Like, the, the, thing, the thing that's difficult to know is, is that, well, people fall into a routine people know who you are they know your Absolutely. business you've been there for so long people know you make money people see your cars change yeah people see all this you know uh, people aren't ignorant you know yeah. so they, they're watching so it's just a matter of time before i feel like you become a target yourself you know and not that i wish that even every- through people that you know that's a yeah I that's mean, a thing so it's like people we know have been a victim you know yes. to these things you know and it's a shame, and sometimes they take lives, sometimes they don't. In La Lu, like there was another, like one of like I call her my, my aunt, but like um, just a very close friend of my parents from young. She went to the bank on La Lu. I remembered like this was in Haiti when we were there. She went to the bank, and let's say I don't remember what it was, the actual amount, but let's say she took out nine thousand five hundred dollars out of the bank, mm-hmm. and she went down the street, and these guys on motorcycles stopped her, got in front of her. Pulled yeah. guns out on her and told her, "Give me the nine thousand five hundred dollars." You just pulled out. She's like, 
That's okay. an inside job. So she went, she gave the money, she went right back to the bank and went off in the bank. Yeah. And like that that was, and that was happening a lot. And that was yeah. like on La Lue. Like Yeah. You know what's even worse? They do they, they do it to the Haitians too. Their own people. Like yeah. they get they get, you get paid bi monthly, right? Yeah. And they would know. Like these 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 robbers would know when the Lock local Haitians <laughs> will, are getting paid. Yeah. And they would stop the buses and literally steal all their money. And yeah. these people are getting paid nothing. Pennies. Yeah. And it's like, man, these people just got paid and they're about to go maybe pay their kids school or maybe finally buy some food. And then you got this robber that comes every 15 days. He, he stops works. The that, bus. that robber works twice a month. Bro, it's crazy. So we started to have to juggle the, the schedule around just so they get paid in different times so mm. that they wouldn't be able to get to be targeted, targeted. Yeah. And so that they're out of the routine. And, you know, it's like, look at these stories that we're telling each other. And it's like we live in the States. Yeah. People don't experience that for their life. Like, bro, and like, let's hope they don't. It's not something you should. Absolutely not. Man. You it's shouldn't rough. experience this. It's and rough. speaking to people <clears throat> and like when when some people probably don't even know these stories that I'm telling. Yeah. And when they'll talk to me about it, they'll be like, really? Like, sometimes I feel like they'll, people will probably be more like he's making this up. I'm like, it but that's where it sounds so made up. But it's that's the relationship that I think it brings where we have friends from Kiskea and Haiti with us where everybody knows it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, that that's factual. Yeah. Like we I'm, all went through the trauma we, together. You, if you didn't go through it, somebody exact one tier away yeah. went through the exact same thing or has a similar story that they can tell. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So back to uh, after college, um, you're doing your MBA. So, no. Uh, when did you graduate I, college? I did my MBA during during COVID. Oh, okay. Um, so, so back back when you went to uh, the school in Montreal, you're in the university doing trying to do civil engineering, right? Yeah, I was trying to do that. I ended up transferring to international business. I okay. did that, um, which was funny. I think like it was like Fabrice that was doing business or something. I don't know if you remember Fabrice Pierre Louis. Yeah, I remember him. Like, I think he was. I haven't doing seen like, him in a long time. I but he's in the, he's in one of the group chats with us. He is like um, he was doing business, and I was like, all right, let me get into that. So I did that, and then I stuck with it. Um, and then um, I was working at Adidas while I was out in Canada at the same time. And there was one day, man, there was a snow, like it was a, it was a snowstorm. But one I thing about Quebec, Canada, no matter what, they're not canceling school. The Quebec people that's on the board, I promise you, I felt like they're Haitian parents or something. Like school doesn't get canceled. I remember I had a little Honda Civic uh, and we had a fourplex. I'm leaving the house. And this snowstorm, mind you, right? I had an 8 o'clock class. And I'm getting out. I'm like, man, like, where's my car? Like, that's my parking spot. Where is it? It's like nothing but snow. I'm like, I couldn't have gotten towed. It's my parking spot in my house. Like, why would I get towed? I'm walking, looking for my car. I hit this, uh, this snow bank. I'm like, this is a pretty rough snow bank. I bump into it. I put my arm through. I'm like, I start moving. I'm like... That's my car. That's my car. <laughs> to tell you how much snow that is. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And I knew I had to get out to, like, unshovel it. I knew there was a snowstorm, and I had a test. And it was an English test or whatever. I still remember it. And I go down, I shovel my car out, and I'm crying, dude. I'm crying because I'm like, I shouldn't be living in here. I'm American, man. Like, <laughs> I, I shouldn't be well, so here. So then why did you go to Montreal? That's where, like, 
parents immigrate. Like you follow your parents. Like yeah, but they go you said there. you're American. So why didn't I you? am? But my parents aren't American. Ah, so I got you. So you're not gonna go to the to states by yourself. Yeah, and I was still young. It was yeah, like yeah, yeah, so yeah, we yeah. all moved. Like my siblings um, are Canadian. Understood. Um, so, <clears throat> so I ended up like that day. I made up my mind. I'm like I'm leaving. So next semester I transferred. I went to LIU Brooklyn in New York. Okay. Um, finished out school there. What year is this? 2010? Um, 2000, yeah, 2010, just about. Okay. Uh, 2009. 2009. Um, and did then, you graduate? Yes, I did. Um, but not right away. It was like two, three years. I was a super senior. Um, what does that so mean, super senior? What are you like? took on? more than four years to, to finish your undergrad. <laughs> Is that bad uh, or good? It's it? not bad. It's just you took longer to do it. Um, so, but why did they give you super senior? That makes it, it just seem like it's an achievement or something. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> it does. That, you did it that's in why, one year. What that, are you? That's how we call it, to make you feel <laughs> really important. You take more than four years, you're a super senior. Oh, you didn't get third place. You got yeah. behind second, second place. So I was a super senior. So And then I did that, and I worked for Adidas um, while I was in Soho, which was like – one of the most phenomenal jobs like I really had. Like um, the cloth the shoe store? Yeah, clothing store. So like there's um so I worked for for Adidas Originals because there's like three different Adidas brands. Um, I worked um in in Montreal, opened up the store there. When they first opened up, I was one of the first employees there. That was an awesome group of people too. I'm friends with a lot of these guys still. Um, in New York opened up um, when we were in Soho Lay was in Soho, I did that. Um, and then I ended up working, transferring later on, I ended up moving down to Florida, to Fort Lauderdale, and I was working at Aventura at the Y3 store. Um, you worked in Aventura Mall? Yeah, but so it, wasn't, did I. it wasn't very long, though, I didn't that I did. Work long and, like, either. I was doing, like, and then, like, I was looking for spare work as well when I moved down. And okay, wait, hold I on. Let's so stop you for a second. Yeah. So you're in New York. You leave New York, and you move to Florida? Yep. 2012? 11. 2011. Yeah. 2011. Okay. So... I moved down. I started working for Adidas again um, still. So, like, I've, this is, like, Adidas all the way through. Um, and I started doing, like, looking up work to do. And um, I look up uh, translations. So, for some reason, it came up where there was a company that needed – it was an engineering company that needed things tr um, translated from French to English. And it was, like, a manual from, I think uh, – You speak fluent French? I do. So, what um, you learn French? Haiti. <laughs> yeah, but not in QCS. You from your parents, probably? Yeah, my parents. Yeah. So like, and then right. I lived in Montreal as well. So gotcha. Um, so when I did, I was doing the translations, the French translations. Um, also, Madame Wokou. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I remember <laughs> the, the Madame French. Wokou. She had so that. Like, <laughs> so she had that uh, puppet. You remember the the the? What do you call those? Um, they're like one of those stuffed puppets that had the picture of her son on it because oh, her son yeah. had, had passed away when she was when he was really yeah, young. Yeah, yeah, he had cancer, I think. Yeah, like I think um, he had, had amputated his arm, I believe, or something. Yeah, um, poor lady, man. She was yeah, great. She was she, very nice. I very nice. I d when nine eleven happened, I was in her class. That's where you were. I was in her class nine eleven. But they that was the same year your your parents. You're, you just said that. Uh, I um I think it was the year. Uh, yeah, same year. Because it it, you said year. July 26th, the day you did the prayer was, it was you said July 26th. I'm, I'm thinking 2000. Yeah, it was 2001 because we left because we still came back to Haiti. Oh, so and you I still remember. came back. Yeah, so when my mom, I didn't stay. We still okay. came back. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was 2001. Yeah, we went You're to right. when 9-11 happened. Yeah, so it was 9-11 yeah. happened, hit the first building. Madame Maltzino came by and said, like, hey, um, there was a plane that hit. And it was like more of like probably like everybody around the world, like a plane accidentally hit. 
into the towers. And we're like, all right, like we're 14, 15, probably, I think maybe at that time. I don't mean, like, no, I don't think I was that old. I must have been. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Years old. So sounds about right. Yeah, it had to have been. So like she's like, it hit the World Trade Tower. And like we're living in Haiti. Most of us say, yes, American in a sense or whatever. Yeah. But we don't know all these monuments or different places. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. So My she's dad. like, she said World Trade Center. I was like, all right, we don't know. And then the second tower got hit. Then she started rolling out the TVs. I don't know if you remember. And she rolled the TVs out. And then Marabouko was trying to explain to us in French class, like, what the World What's Trade Towers. And then oh, that's okay. when they were trying to decide if they're shutting down school. And they ended up sending us home that day. Yeah, so I, that was my experience. I just remember like, getting home at one point after dinner. And my dad was watching the news. And I remember seeing the replay of, yeah. of what was happening. Yeah. Um, that was pretty so, wild. Yeah, so you come so to Florida in 2012. 11. 11. 2011. So that's crazy because I know I was here in 2011 also, and I did work in Aventura. <laughs> that's as crazy. As a seasonal, in Macy's, as a seasonal um, sales for cologne and perfumes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was like, a good gig. It was three months, 18 bucks an hour. That's really good at that time. Oh, and yeah. Like, but I wasn't, I wasn't like, when I moved down here, I moved in with my cousins, like Peterson and Sonny. We ended up taking a house and everything. Um, and so I was working out there. But it was very – like, living in Florida is very difficult in a sense, um, especially in terms of transportation. Like, so that was, like, an issue that, that I had earlier on of trying to figure out living in Florida. Mm -hmm. Like, you can make it in New York – fairly well mm -hmm. Montreal the transportation system solid but anyways I ended up doing that I did the translations for this company in French um, it went really well like I got paid pretty well to do it but it was like obviously temporary because it was just the documentation they needed mm -hmm. to change so then I go on Craigslist because that's where I found it I went on Craigslist looked for more French work I was like oh this is this was pretty cool Craigslist was rough back yeah. then so I went <laughs> to go look for work and guess what my next job was out of Craigslist Lawnmower, <laughs> uh, the army. <laughs> so, what? So I That's joined, how the, you decided I joined to join the army? army off of Craigslist. Get Joe. I joined the army off. Bye, of Craigslist. Bye, that, yeah, I <laughs> Are you kidding me? I, I joined the army off. Why? Of Craigslist. I want, what did the? So what, I always thought about joining. The the, the the link say. So so, I, I also don't want to. Looking for work, don't know what you want to do with your life, want to find a. Battalion or a something. Well, a well-paying right? job. So what's really like? My dad was in the Haitian army too, though. But really, it was like, yeah, my grandfather Wait, was in the, the Coast Guard. Yeah, in the eighties. Yeah. So like, oh, probably even earlier that? than that too. Yeah. So it's like, um, but it was always something that I've always thought about. But when I actually joined, was from Craigslist. So That's it was a recruiter that wild. put in like, and the reason why I found it was because I did like I was looking for French. I typed in French, and there was a thirty-five like it's called their job series in the army. I called 35 Papa. It was a cryptologic French linguist. So I joined the army because I saw an ad to, uh, to be a cryptologic linguist. Nice. <laughs> okay, so they got you in. What, yeah. tell, tell, me, tell me the first few days. I, I want to hear the first few days. So first few days, obviously, you're going through, like, the motions of, like, doing your paperwork to get into the army. You're doing your basic training. I did that at South Carolina. Um, okay. One of, the, like, that's one of the most American I felt during a time was – going to South Carolina, living, like, amongst Americans more. Because even when I moved to Florida, I was obviously with my cousins, Haitian and stuff. So it was, like, Haitian-American. So we're not fully, uh, like, involved into the American cycle, I guess, best way to put it. 
um, joining the army, like I'm doing basic training with people that are just like straight up American. Don't probably yeah. don't even know where Haiti is in some senses. Right. So joined, um, having like weird conversations with people of like, I remember one guy, like, um, he didn't know, like, he was like, man, I met a bunch of people from around the world. You had basic training. And I was like, oh man, that's awesome. Like, who'd you meet? Cause I thought I knew everybody. He's like, um, yeah, man, I met people from all around the world. I met somebody from Seattle. I was like, it's not all around the world, dude, but <laughs> all right. So like, uh, so that was like one I of my experiences. I guess Seattle's another country. It is another country, I guess. So it's like that stuff like that it's was like, it was, it was another shock. Cause like, you know, geography in Haiti and Haitians, it's like so big. It's like geography is like drained into our heads. Like geography, geography, education, but you know geography pretty well. So we, so I did that. And then after that, I got, after basic training, I got sent over. I was supposed to go to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. That didn't happen. So I ended up going to uh, Fort Hood, Texas. Um, and that, that's where I kind of fell in love with the state of Texas. I love Texas. Um, and then from there moved up to, then I went to, I deployed, did some missions. And one of them like was to Togo. Um, where I was on a funeral detail, a soldier had passed away. Um, and we had, he was from, he was Togolese. So we had to go bury That's him. That's in Africa, so like, right? Yeah, it's in Africa, West is Africa. It, is that, is that a, a state in Africa or is it it's like. It's a country. It's a, well, I don't know why yeah. I said state, but yeah, a country in Africa. Yeah. Mm. So right I, next I to Ghana. Was, I, I assumed it was like in one of the other countries like Ghana or Zimbabwe or something like that, it, but yeah. it's its own thing. It's its own country. It's really okay. small. Like. I don't even know what I'd the have square to pull up my it's, map. It's so small. Like it's but it's right next to Ghana. So we went out there. Um it was me and another soldier. We went out and made funeral arrangements. It took a long time. But why there? Um he's he's from Togo. So what Oh he's from Togo. He's from Togo. Gotcha. Um it was an unfortunate situation how he passed, but it's long story. Basically like um he he his mother was there from Togo. Um he he put the weapon back on himself. Mm. Um, so that was some things that happened, unfortunately, in the military. Um, so we went over there and made the funeral arrangements. Um, it took a long time to do, but either way, and that was, was during the time I was transitioning out of the military, um, which was one of the really good assignments of like, you felt like you're bringing a soldier home. Mm -hmm. Um, so we did, we, we put him like he went, we took care of the funeral stuff, um, went to Togo, and then, like, we had some time, um, me and the other soldiers. So we went and visited a slave house, and that was, like, eye-opening of, like, hearing the stories. And the reason why I was also involved in that was because Togo's French, so it helped having me there speaking French and getting so, all the arrangements So you done. continued – so that, that the job you – that's the title of the job you had when you were in the military? That was one of the jobs I had in the military. One of the other jobs, like, um, really quickly is – um, I'm an intel person, so it's basically like you go out and make sure, like, if you're going to go get a bad guy, you have to have somebody like me to, to confirm certain things. Like locations? Certain uh, things like that. Okay. Yeah. If there's so IEDs and stuff everywhere or, like, those types of details? Certain things like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you go to Togo. Yeah. You get to the safe house. So, yeah, so... Um, like, why did you go to the safe house? It wasn't a safe house. It was a slave house. No, that's why I said slave yeah. house. Like, so we're visiting. So oh, like we're visiting. Okay. We're already done. Like there's like time in between because we we're there like a week, two weeks, I think. So we already had done the funeral or like we were preparing. So it was in between those times. We went to the slave house um, and got a tour. Like our driver was pretty cool. Like um, what's really funny is like 
is we're crossing because we're the uh, Togo's really small it's really thin so right next to it is like Ghana and he's like the country's pretty safe in a sense but he's like when we're on the border next to Ghana he's like um we're not stopping at the red lights I'm like why he's like there's a lot of kids that would just open up the doors and like rob us so he would just take off anyways he was an excellent driver um the embassy had passed him along to us so we went to the slave house um got to see some of the slaves house like when it was it was hidden like during the time because it was already abolished slavery when it was there. And that's when the Portuguese would come, the Dutch would come um, and the Brits would come and whatnot and come out there and pick slaves. And it was a regular house. It, it's still standing. It looks it looks good still. Like, I don't know how old it is, 300 years or whatever it is. Still looks good um, in a sense for, for, for it being that long. And they'll show you where like our driver got down of like showing you the pictures of like showing you like the height of these slaves were there for like four or five months living in about four feet high basement crawl space wow and when they had to go in it was like a half circle where that's where they come in and this house couldn't have been maybe a three-bedroom house kind of thing like to give you uh, dimensions or so Mm -hmm. um but there's probably like 400 um, slaves underneath there and there was one hole for food coming wow. down like from the top of the house one rule and were these slaves all people from africa or just from tongo they were from probably all over from africa like um tribes i lost that lost fights and you get sent out does, and does this slave house have any tie to haiti um not togo benin was right next to it and benin like a lot of haitians are um like benin like like ancestry i guess you could say um there's some togolese but like and we kind of do look like him when I was there. Like you know, like Haitians are like, oh, it's Hassan Like that one looks like me, kind of thing. Like I could see it from the Togolese a little bit um, that we do have some semblances of of Togolese, um, but mostly I've always heard it's uh, Beninois. Okay, but but where where is that? It's not right next door. So so it's it like Ghana, Togo, and Benin. Okay, so that's another country. Another country. Damn man. So I, I say. Map again. I always see the. But big I'm like, ones. yeah. But I'm like somebody like I'm probably different. I I, I enjoy looking at different countries and like. You like ever I spin that down. globe when you were in school? I did that too much. Point, I like did that too much. It lands somewhere and not in the middle of the ocean. I did that too much. <laughs> I, I I think <laughs> I used to do. <laughs> I think I used to do that with the, like people in our class and like we just spin the globe and like point and stuff and like it yeah. always fascinated me like travel like that's why one day I need to retire soon so I could just travel. Like Should people say pilot, that, bro. but people say that stuff too. And it's like, they are like, yeah, they want to travel and stuff. But me, it's like mostly for the history and like yeah. Anthony Bourdain, like rested, rest in peace. He was also somebody like, like it was just fascinating seeing all the yeah. places he went for he had food a great and show. stuff. His show was phenomenal. Yeah. Like we just jumped around so much, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I mean, he's, he was great. Yeah. Rest in peace for real. Yeah. Man, but yeah, that was the, that was the Togo, um, went out and, and did that, came back, got out the Army, and then moved up here to, well, not here, but moved up to D.C. area with my wife, which was a little bit closer in North Carolina. And then D.C., also my parents being, like, in Montreal, my siblings um, in Montreal, it kind of gave us, like, so the idea. So when did the coaching thing happen? So the coaching thing happened, like, it started up more so, you could say, in when I was living in Quebec, because I was coaching, like, while I was in college, like, playing, I still coached. At the same time, it was weird. Like, I had enough time to do both of them. What, why Why were? You, why did you decide to coach? So one of my cousins, he actually lives down here in Florida. He, <laughs> We were um, 
he was staying with us in the summer in Montreal. He still lived in Montreal, but he stayed with us like over the summer. And like he was like, and I was, he was younger than me, and I played basketball. He's like, Joe, can you coach me? Like for next year for school, and like I was like, I went to the park all the time, and then he's like, Hey, we don't have a coach next year, and I was like, uh, I never thought of coaching. He's like, No, you should do it. Like they'll work around your schedule, blah blah blah. Um, and I went to go and try to coach, but like when I got there, like the coach was actually staying, but they're like, Hey, we have a girls varsity head coach position if you wanted that. So I did that for a year, and that was like an experience within itself as well, like coaching girls, phenomenal. Yeah, girls say, listen. I, I, Girls listen a lot better than boys do, like for basketball. Um, so that so you don't have to repeat yourself as much with girls, like, and they kind of like sometimes it's like they follow everything like too much to the T. They don't freestyle enough. Um, but as a coach, it's phenomenal coaching. So when coaching you got the girls. job as a coach, what what are some of the things that you had to do when you first got it? Like I'm assuming like if it's your first time doing it, how do you know how to coach? Just because you can play the sport doesn't mean you can coach it. So yeah, what, reading, asking, but like, but when you, but when, when you play, you pick up stuff from like, sure, let's sure. say like, um, my first coach, probably your first coach too, is Kaim's, um dad, right, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Saint Louis. So like, I picked up a lot of things and remembered a lot of things from Mr. Saint Louis mm-hmm. that I brought in and like did that. But you have to create like, and you freestyle game plans, but you freestyle on it and like, it, it's it was a trial and error. I was a young coach. Did you do? Um, did you read a lot of books and stuff on on how to? I how did because there was no plays? YouTube and stuff on there, so it's like I did a lot of research into like trying to figure it out. First year, I ended up coaching the girls, and then the next year, the the boys coach ended up leaving, so I ended up taking that, and then we won the championship like my first year there. Okay, um, this is why you're title. still in college. Yeah, I'm still in college. We this won is way before the army. Way before the army. So okay. like, so I win a championship like a state. It's called provincial, um, but like equivalent of states. So um, one states like within my first year of there, um, great group of guys too. It's like really funny because like these guys are my friends because they're only like two couple years younger than me. Right. <laughs> so it's like we're we're friends like, but these are my guys that I've coached, um, and then I coached like summer stuff, and then after that like um, I think that's when I ended up like I I stopped coaching. Uh, no, I kept on coaching until I left. Like with the whole snow stuff I was talking about with my Honda Civic. And then I went uh, to the to New York. To New York, yeah. So when I was in New York, I wasn't coaching. When I moved to Florida, right after that, basically, like when I joined the army, like I was playing in the army and coaching at the same time. Like when we were deployed to Middle East and stuff, like you. So what do you mean when you were coaching in the army? If you already had a job in the army, do you just mean like when you were playing with, with the other guys, you yeah, would kind of like coach the, them, or you talking overseas. about a legit team? Legit teams, like overseas, like it's like. Well, legit teams. It's not like you have college, like you're taking buses. No, and stuff. right. Like, but what I mean is that it's not it's not recreational. You guys actually have a team. Yeah, we have teams. Like we had practice. Like I was like a okay. player coach. Gotcha. Um, so I was doing that, and like that actually taught me the most because I was like one of the younger like ranking members, but I was still having a coach like my colonel and coach my sergeant major and Ooh, coach my that's, captain that's interesting it was because i think that did shape because the into hierarchy coaching. is kind of like yeah because the army is very hard for people to like let go of rank right like it's it's probably the hardest thing for them to like listen to somebody that they feel like is below they, rank. they below ranking or they know more yeah. but the thing is like as long like the one thing like also the army also shows you is like being confident in your responses and your mm-hmm. like even if you're going to be wrong, make sure nobody knows you're going to be wrong in a sense, I guess, um, is just to be very authoritative of your responses. You ever see some 
you, you, you did anything crazy while you were in Afghanistan that you can share? That's Things not that G14 classified. classified. That's not G14 classified. <laughs> like, like what? Did, while you're on a regular day, nothing yeah, really so popped off. Like, so there's like what one. was it like? Uh, because 9/11 was 11 years ago. Like, I'm sure. I'm guessing you're 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 towards the tail end of the war, right? So it was the breakdown. So like basically, like well, I I went to the Middle East twice. Um, one was 2013 to 2014, and then the other one was 16 to 17. So the 13 to 14, I was a soldier, and that was that was a lot of fun because I met um, some really good guys, two guys and girls out there that were um, that were awesome. Um, we went on a lot of missions. I learned um, the importance of hygiene very well, of like going out on like 10 day missions, five to 10 day missions of baby wipes. So you mean when you say 10 day mission, for example, you're out of camp for 10 days? You're out of so camp. So what are you doing for supplies? You pack up as much supplies you're as you can? You're packing up and you don't know how much water weighs, by the way. And what are you eating? MREs? MREs. How um, is that? Weigh down on scale one to 10. MREs, like for me personally, MREs are probably a five on 10. And people are probably going to. What, what is some of the meals? People are, are probably going to kill me in the comments for five <laughs> saying because people love MREs. Um, what, what, so what, what's a typical MRE? What, what, what is if it? I remember, there was like the Italian meatball one everybody liked. It's everything. <laughs> like MREs literally, like whatever you think, like there's an MRE for it. Like MREs, but it's like 5,000 calories. It's like supposed to keep you going. Yeah. Like you're supposed to get like. It's like a meal you, replacement. Yeah. So like way. they'll give you like three MREs for a day and you're like, dude, I'm not eating three MREs in a day. You eat like, like one or one and a one, half. One and you, you stretch it out. Because first off, too, you're outside the, like, we call it outside the wire. Yeah. So you're outside the wire. Like, you're not trying to have your helmet off, your Kevlar off, and, like, okay, I have a trying weird question. to Yeah. Where do you guys go to bathroom? So, like, you pull security <laughs> for each other. So, like, you go on the side of the roads. I um, love it. Like, <laughs> like, I've, <laughs> like, I've had to, like, we've gone on, like, missions, night missions where you need to go and you have to hop out the truck, but it's dark. So where are you guys sleeping? In the truck? Oh, yeah, you sleep in the truck or you sleep under the truck or you sleep on top of the truck. But then, like, there's, like, scorpions and stuff, big spiders. Oof. So it's like um, one time I remember I went, we were on a mission. It was, a, it was dark, and I had to go um, relieve myself, like, urinate. And, like, you're, you go there, and, like, I didn't, you can't see nothing. And it's so pitch black, right? It's pitch black, and there's camels everywhere. So I urinated on, like, camel feces. And I didn't see it, and I didn't know, and, like, I stepped in it. And then we still had two more days oh in that God, truck. Joe. I hopped in that truck. Now it's mush Smelling around, right? Dank. And I don't even know what it is. We're out there. We're like, what is that? And I knew automatically because I'm the one that last left. And it's the <laughs> winter out there, so the heat in the truck is on. And we have two days of this. Oh, my gosh. Dude, it was it was bad. That's one of the... That's one, like, really snippet story. Some of the other ones were, like, Did we get ambushed? Like, a bunch of guys surround you? Um, no, that's rare for something like that to happen because, like, Americans, we have, like, we're, it's like a three-to-one ratio of, like, we always know, like, not always know, but um, God willing, it's three-to-one of, like, knowing, like, you have three Americans to one bad guy in a sense. So mm -hmm. ambushes weren't really a thing. But in 2016, so an email – I say saved saved our lives, an email I was sending. So typically, like, it was like I had night shift or whatever. I was going to send an email out, like, at 5. Um, we go and eat at 6. That's when, like, the defect, the cafeteria would open up, and I'm sending an email, like, at 5.50. 
Um, I normally send at 5.50, but everybody wanted to go down early or whatever in the office. We all go eat together. And I'm about to go, and, like, they're like, Joe, hurry up, man. Let's go. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hold on. Let me send this email out. Boom, boom, boom. And right when I say it, and, like, incoming, incoming, boom. And had I, had I listened to them and gone exactly because you know it's timed like you know exactly where you are because we work seven days a week 12 hour shifts we know exactly it's routine it's routine we know at 552 we're going to be exactly there it hit like 552 exactly where we would have been at what a, a mortar a mortar a, a mortar wow missile mortar it hit exactly where we were and you be were at. outside you, you guys we outside stayed the inside because no no we were inside you were the in wire the wire. Time. so they mortared us wow um, so it hit exactly where we would have been so what so happens when something like that goes down so you, you guys shelter go down in place no, you shelter in place and then accountability, um, like make sure everybody's but There's no return for. fire. There's no squad that goes and looks for the mortar or. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. G14 <laughs> classified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Interesting. Um, so this was when you got back in 2016 or was this the first? This was stint? 2016. This was okay. 2016. That email. So um, how, how different was it between the 2012 that you left and coming back in 2016? Was it like you never left? You're talking about uh, the first deployment or all that. Yeah. The deployment. Uh, so 13. The so country itself, all that stuff. It was different because 2016, 17, the mission just became like more handing it over off to um, the Afghans. So that's what the mission became was mm -hmm. handing it off, shutting bases down. Um, so that that's what the mission became was getting ready to hand it over. There's a bunch of military bases shut down over mm -hmm. there at the time. And how long would you be on deployment for? Uh, first time we were there nine months. Second Oof. time I was there twelve months, nice. like twelve months to the day. I I landed like my second deployment. I got there like August eleventh on my birthday, and I came back August eleventh on my birthday. Wow! So literally like. So aside from the motorcycle, that was the closest call you've encountered yourself in terms of like where you feel from like from what from what I could share probably yeah that was like one of the like literally that email saved my life. Um, but what else was there? Like, we, we take in contact. Like, you get shot at. It's the military. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, it seems normal. What movie but have you seen military-wise that gives you the closest depiction of what life is like over there? Like, Jarhead or something? Mm, I'm a, not going to say The Hurt Locker because I know a lot of people, although it's a good movie, a lot of people say that movie is not realistic. I don't know Hurt Locker I would probably be harder for people to, like, in the military, too, because it's EOD. Like, it's bombs, and only a certain group of people take part of that, so it's hard to to say. Um, I don't know. I That's an interesting question. I've never thought of it, like, what's the closest depiction. I actually enjoy our, like, military movies, like war movies. Mm -hmm. um, but is there one that – because some of them you could probably call bull on, and others would be like, man, they, they did their homework on this one. Uh, I like 12 Strong. Um, it oh, was I don't know a, that one. 12 Strong was good, I think. If I remember it all the way correctly, I think so. That was good. Mm. It was um, basically a first group that went into Afghanistan um, at the start of the war. It was like a group of Delta guys or SF guys, Special oh, I might Force have guys. to watch that. It was, it was, it was good. So I like 13 Hours like in Benghazi. Like, yeah, there, so 13 Hours in Benghazi, that was good. Mm. That was really good. That was but I feel like Jarhead depicts a pretty good like day-to-day -day life of what a regular jarhead goes through in the military yeah like i, feel I, like, I, I don't, don't remember jarhead all the way 
The one with um, the one, uh, Jake Jamie Foxx. No, was Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, yeah, Jamie Foxx was in Jamie it. Jamie Foxx yeah, yeah. was in there. Yeah. Oh, he was in it. Yeah, oh Jamie Foxx was in Jamie there. Jamie Foxx, man, one of, the, one of our greatest actors of our time. For most sure. talent, one of the most talented people in for Hollywood. Sure. I love his interview he has with <laughs> Denzel Washington. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it was. So I'm going to leave here with something. Bro. I'm going to so leave. Good. Denzel said, I'm going to leave here with something. Man, I binged <laughs> Denzel movies the other day, bro. Oh, my, yeah. my man is a great, great actor. He is. And like, man. But 12 Strong, I think that's one for you to look at. There's, um, there's something on Netflix, too, on a, this one show um, called Spy On or something, I think. And it, it talks about the same group of guys as well. They, some of the guys they didn't know had like, – because it was like start of the war where like there was no right bases. Right after 2001. Yeah, it was like I think 2002, 2003, I don't know. But like right after where these group of guys didn't know how to ride. Uh, there was like one guy that knew how to – they had horses. Mm-hmm. And, like, only one or two of the guys knew how to ride horses. So yeah. it was, like, it was interesting. Like, it's it's different than what I did because, obviously, I'm not somebody at, at that level of those guys. But um, it, it was interesting. That that might be a good one for you to check out. Yeah, I might have to look into that. Yeah, definitely. So in between 2014 and 2016, you're coaching. Like, that's your main gig? No. Like, I've never – it's never been my main gig. Like, okay. it's a common misconception. Okay, so like, what are you doing when you're off your military stint in terms of work or? Oh, so I was working um, for the government still from 2015, like, till this day, just about. Okay. Um, so So even now, your coaching is not your main gig. You just It's you never work. been my co- my main gotcha. gig. Gotcha. So does this whole time, I'm thinking you're your full-time head coach. No, a lot of people gotcha. like it. Okay. It doesn't pay enough for that. We're clearing <laughs> it up now, baby. We're yeah. clearing it up now. It doesn't pay enough for that. Um but so yeah so now i'm a director of a club and then i coach out of high school um and so it's pretty high level basketball like the dmv um dc maryland virginia mm-hmm. area is considered one of the best basketball like waters what, what is it about coaching that keeps you in, in involved um mentorship of like seeing like and so my calling i always tell people like my calling from like god i feel is like um nobody tries to there's always like the middle class high uh the top part of society and the lower class nobody really targets and like looks at the middle class to give them the little boost or the little umph that gets them somewhere because i feel like the middle class families end up saving for a kid to go to college they have a little college fund and whatnot but if i'm able to come in here and like help this kid get an athletic scholarship and help them elsewhere now that money that the parents saved can go into restructuring going into business doing something for that kid doing something for them but at least it's pushing it back to the american economy of boom now you have and that middle class is the one that's the best class i feel that can attain the top class and the middle class and know what they want and know how to um Mm -hmm. progress so that's what i say like my calling from god is is just like hitting that middle class of like helping those kids and the families and just like it's rewarding when you're seeing like and it's stra- strategy, like from Kiskeya, like I've been playing chess since I was four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they thought um, I was chess since so like we, So we've been learning, mistaken. yeah. So I've been doing chess tournaments, and the game of basketball to me is just like, it's just chess. And it's like, and when you remember when you're playing chess, you have the clock and you're hitting. And I still play chess to this day. Like my daughter, I, I've, I've taught her on and off, and she, she turns eight soon, and she knows chess. And it's, it's strategy. I think it's helped, uh, helped me out a lot in terms of, thinking on my feet and problem solving and problem solving like playing chess is like um when i was in canada my my high school in canada like i they started the chess club for me to teach other kids and i ended up doing that 
Like yeah, I literally had a chest, teacher, bro. I, I, I promise you, I feel like maybe I am. Like I, they literally started a chess club, and I remember I taught this one kid. He knew nothing about chess. A year before, I taught him some chess moves. He spent the entire summer to come back next year just to beat me. Did he and beat you? He beat me once. I was uh, that's the only time I'll admit it. That's like beating um, Mr. Hersey. I I beat Mr. Hersey. Yeah. But in the like, beginning, that your goal yeah. is to beat him. It, that, that was the goal. Because he used to walk around and play six people at a time or yes. something, the whole class. You'd play more than that. Yeah. I, I ended up doing that in Afghanistan. I played 10 people at once. I beat all 10. Wow. I had them all lined up. At, like, like, in between missions, I come back. Boom. Had them all lined up. Played 10 people. Beating them all at once. You ever played Claude? Um, I, I'm pretty sure I had to. Like, um, I know Claude if, is like grandmaster type stuff. Yeah. Bro, so, like, guy. I played, um, like... Like chess master, I beat the computer. Um, I used to play online. Like you beat AI, know. bro. Yeah, like before before AI. I guess <laughs> before it was always it was, AI, but before it was before it was AI it was AI. Artificial. Yeah, before it was AI <laughs> AI. I beat it. I beat chess master. Um, but chess has just been like it's been phenomenal. It just helps with your brain functions. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Oh, actually, to go back to the question you asked me earlier while we were talking about. Um, you asked me how did I get into production. Yes. Yeah, so after I left Haiti in, in 2020, after my grandfather uh, situation, um, I came here and I, did, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. But I knew my cousin was uh, wanted to open his own bakery. So, um, But he didn't open it right away when I got here. So in the meantime, I hooked up with um, Clifford Marzuka, who yeah. owns a pizzeria with his brother Jeff. Marsuka, so I ended up working at the pizzeria for a bit, for about maybe six months or something like that, and then I went to go work for my cousin at the bakery, um, and I, I did that for about, did that for about a year, and then I've always wanted, because of my fascination for film, and I've always loved movies. It's something I compare everything in my life to his movies, kind of yeah. like how Jim Carrey is in the Cable Guy, how his whole life. Everything he knows, what he learned through movies, because his mom was never around. He was always sitting in front of movies. So I watched a bunch of movies, and I was always fascinated with movies. And I always wanted to work in the movie industry. So I started to research, how can I get into the, this career without going to school? Because I didn't want to have to go back to school or maybe even switch states to go into yeah. another school or do another four-year program and all these things. Um, but... W- while I was in Haiti, I picked up photography, and I learned photography through YouTube. So I was, like, scrolling through Instagram one day while I was baking, and um, I stumbled upon this film stills photographer. Her name was Nicola Dove that offers a film stills academy course, a two-month course of how to become a, a stills photographer on set. So someone that takes behind the scenes stills with pictures, right? Not video, just pictures. I was like, this is, this is a job that people do. I had no idea. She was, and Nicola Dove was, uh, she shot, um, no time to die and a bunch of other famous movies. So I was in her class and one of her classes, she breaks down the, all the different jobs there is to do on set between gaffer, which is somebody that, that hooks up lighting to somebody that assists the camera person, to somebody that operates the camera, to the director, to uh, art director, to uh, PA, which is just an assistant, production assistant, that anybody that needs like anything, there's a PA there to get it for you. Um, there's all these jobs that opened up in front of me 
and I decided I was going to try to pursue this thing. But I, there's no way I could do both. I could not do baking, which is taking six days of the week and 10-hour, 12-hour days. Early, right? well, well, when I first started, I wasn't in the early shift. Um, I started off in the afternoon shift. I, I would come in around like 4 o'clock, and I want to get out until probably like 2, 1, 2 a.m. It all depends on how much work I was doing and how much I had to do because I couldn't leave without finishing what I had to do, right? Uh, and at the time, I was rolling the vinoiserie, which is the croissants, the danishes, and, and all these things. Um, and eventually, I, was, I wanted to move to the morning shift because I'm much more of a morning person than I am of a night person. So I like waking up early instead of staying up late. Yeah. So waking up early because my, my favorite drug in the world is coffee. So that, that literally gets me out of bed in the morning. When my alarm goes off, I never snooze. I literally get up out of bed. I drink a cup of water and hit the coffee pot. Yeah. It's, it's an addiction. Yeah. And it's the best addiction to get out of bed. You'll never snooze if that's your addiction is to drink coffee. And I love the What's the your smelling favorite coffee? Of co- Bro, Haitian coffee is the best. Rebo? Like, I wouldn't necessarily say Rebo. Um, my favorite coffee in Haiti was Cafe Claudia. Okay. But one of the coffees that I really enjoyed was actually a coffee that I started doing myself. I found this local farmer um, in Fusi in the mountains that had a very small plot of land that had their own little coffee. And I used to buy the coffee from her raw. Okay. And then I used to roast it myself and make it, bro. Beautiful. Some of the best coffee I ever drank. And it, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to be biased because I'm the one that made it or whatever, but yeah. it was really just so good because the coffee would have a certain unique taste because it was grown around like other vegetation. Yeah. And whatever it's grown around, it kind of takes a piece of that. You know, Absolutely. when the vegetation falls on the ground, it becomes part of the topsoil. Yeah. You get some mangoes in there. You get some bananas. You get whatever is around, right? Yeah. And then you get this amazing, unique blend of coffee, you know, pure Haitian coffee. It was some of the best coffee I'm I've sure ever drank. I'm sure you missed that. Oh, <laughs> I missed it so much, bro. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Anyways, back, back to the story. So now I'm trying to get gigs. I get to free up my schedule. So I'm like, I got to commit. I had, so I left my job. I quit my job and I'll, I spent the whole month of January. First, actually, before, before I quit, I went on my first gig. Uh, my first paid BTS stills gig was for two days on this short film in Orlando. Um, I was applying different i applied everywhere on facebook on staff me up on production hub on all those things i was trying to figure out a way to get into it i have no credibility i have no references i have nothing i'm just typing away and then um all i have is linked to images that i've done in my past stuff that i've shot models or events or whatever and then this lady responds to one of my messages like hey i love your style of work would you love to be the bts photographer on my shoot i'm like yes it's possible i can do this so I go to Orlando. I had an amazing time on set. Very small set. Couple actors, couple crew members, probably like 10 people max. Right? Maybe maybe less than that. Um, and I had a blast. And I'm like, man, this is honestly where I feel like I belong. Like this is this is like my calling. I w- this needs to be what I do. So I get back. I talk to my cousins. And I'm telling them that I want to transition. Like I, I, I think I want to try to pursue this. You know, like I feel like this is where I belong. So I end up leaving my job and I freed up myself and um, stuff's not rolling in, bro. Like I'm not getting the gigs as often and, yeah. and I'm trying to figure out like, what do I do? How do I, how do I get network? What do I do? How do I figure out where I meet people? So I'm like, maybe I should go to film festivals. So I went to the Miami Short Film Festival where uh, 
they showcase a lot of local talent, a lot of short films. And I met Cesare, which is the owner of the production studio that we that I work for now, which is where the studio is now for the podcast. And uh, he was there promoting one of his films that he shot with uh, another director. He was the director of photography. So you have the director and you have the director of photography. And um, he was the director of photography on there. We exchanged contacts. And I messaged him um, in January uh, while, I was on, while I was off work, obviously. And um, he asked me to come by to one, one of these events he was having here in the studio. He was showcasing some new lenses that they had. So I came and I, start, I got to meet uh, some of the former employees that were here. And um, I was talking to, to Cesare and I was like, hey man, do you, do you guys have internships? Like I would love to like work here. And he's like, yeah, what do you want to do? Like well, what, what, what kind of skills do you have? I was like, well, I don't, this is like a new venture for me. Like I'm a baker, bro. Like I don't know any of this stuff. This is a new field. Like I only know photography like from, from stuff. To, He's like, so what do you want to do? Like, what's your what's your goal? Like, well, honestly, I would love to be a DP, like a director of photography, like you. You know, uh, I want to shoot movies. He's like, okay, um, message me in a couple weeks or something, right? So I go back home and I spent the remaining January. I finished my website. I launched my website. I launched. Um, I did all my profiles for online. I did my resume and all that stuff. I contacted him about the position. He told me to come in, and I've been here ever since. That happened in February of this year. That's awesome. So that's man. how I got into production. I love it that that's a passion of yours and you're following it. That's yeah, bro, I love I love it a lot. I love hearing when people find their passion and they're they're with it because yeah. that was one thing that when I was young that always scared me because obviously with the Haitian parents where they tell you there's only three jobs and yeah and if it doesn't fit it you always like feel you, like you're a letdown. You somehow. felt you're like you're a letdown if you didn't do three of these jobs and like hearing it and like obviously think times have changed now like how I'm gonna pass it along to my kids. Um, Aero Bastion and Vieira of like, um, like kind of like be happy. Like it's not kind of, but be happy with whatever that you do. Yeah. Obviously, we want our kids to be self-sufficient where they can take care of themselves. And but the biggest thing too is to be, you have to be brave. You have to have the courage to take what, the risk. What you just told me was a whole lot of bravery. Yeah, I don't know if I had risks. that much bravery in me. Like, I'm. That, I mean, that's look, a lot. I'm fortunate that I was living at home with my mom, so yeah. I I don't have this necessarily have you know to pay rent and all these things so i'm fortunate to have a family that supports me and allows me to try to pursue my my dream your passions you know, yeah and my passions a lot of people are probably not fortunate enough to have that kind of situation and they're stuck in their mundane job that they may not necessarily like but they have to do it because there's no other way for them they can't afford if there's anything that covid i feel like taught us as, as a people is that the average american if not the average most americans don't have enough savings for a month. That's true. Like, after a month, you're done. Yeah. There's, you have nothing left. If they take the house away from you, you have nothing. Your car is, is still being paid off unless you own it. But most people, they're in payments. Most people have leases. Like, yeah. it's, it's a tough situation, you know. And it's, it's the financial situation, is, it's really tough. It's really hard everywhere here, you know. Yeah. And um, I'm very fortunate to have my family that supports me. So... That was the only reason why and, and the only way I was able to actually pull that off. Because if I was paying rent or if I had kids, I'd probably still be baking today. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that, that paycheck is comfortable. You know, you're but getting it, it every But it sounded month. still like you enjoyed baking. Though. I love like, baking. Let's okay. not get it twisted. Like, I love baking. Like, there's, there is a satisfaction that comes out of 
taking simple ingredients, flour, water, salt, oil, yeast, and you make bread. Yeah. And bread that people enjoy. Like Aaron, Aaron loves to bake, man. Yeah, it's like fun. It's fun. Especially when you knock it out. It's like when you finally are cooking alone. When you're living alone, you're starting to cook. Yeah. Your first year making food, horrible. Yeah. But eventually you get it. And you start to make good food. So much so that when you go out, sometimes food out is not enjoyable. So you rather just buy stuff and take it home and make it. See, that's where I don't have enough courage myself. So, like, you know, like, kind of the same mindset you said of, like, fixing stuff. Like, one of my friends, like, uh, back in D.C., he's like, Joe, like, you're not going to get everything you want to fix right away. Let's say there's stuff around the house. I'm like, I pay people to do stuff that I probably could do on my own. Yeah. But it's so hard for me to, like, look at something I do and look at it bad. Like, I did a horrible <laughs> job at it because I, I don't stop. Like, I'm... I don't want to say I'm a perfectionist, but it's like I'm a slight perfectionist of like I installed that door wrong. Yeah. Every time I walk by that door, that door is going to bother me. Yes. All the time. But what you just said of like you you were just open with a whole year of like you're just like, hey, it didn't go, but you're eventually going to get it. Like mm-hmm. I'm impatient in that sense. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Yeah. Patience is a virtue, my friend. And, and Miami you have to be patient to survive in the 305 because that traffic out there can turn a sane man insane. Everybody insane. has a bad traffic thing for every city. And Bro, I've lived a what's lot of the places. traffic like over where you're at? DC is atrocious. Apparently, how bad is it? You know, it's how do we measure? How can we measure? I, I don't. I don't know. Like <laughs> that's also one of those debates I don't get really, into. Really bad I don't get into because I'm like, I, DC like. So, uh, I don't. You remember Michael McCarn? No. So Michael McCarn, like he lives in D.C. too. Before I moved there, he's like, this is like on record. D.C. is the worst um, traffic in America. Uh. On re- on record, he said it is bad though. Uh. But the way I live, it's not that bad because I'm still on the outskirts. I'm more in like the Virginia side. Bro, I lose side. three hours a day every day in traffic. Three hours. Are you serious? Three hours. I'm I'm dead serious. Sometimes long, longer than that. It's uh, crazy down here. There's no back roads or something that you could take? And if like, you think you can take the back road and everybody else on the highway is not thinking the same thing as you, believe me, taking the back road is going to add more time. Wow. Because now you're stuck with all the lights and school zones. No, I can't do that. Well, you have three major highways but I also that are work five early, lanes. Though, so, like, my, like, I typically start work, like, at sometimes five or six. So, yeah. I miss a lot of traffic. Not so. me. I'm, my schedule is smack dab in the middle of traffic. I have a nine to six schedule. Yeah, but not I. After six, though, you should be fine. After six. Yeah, but I'm not I don't want to stay here any longer. So I try to go home and, you know, eat and see my wife and, you know, hang out, try to watch a movie, something like that. But now I started going to the gym. So every morning I wake up at six and just head to the gym. So I beat all the traffic. But the afternoon traffic, boy, can it get bad, bro? Wow. Like everybody's on the road at the same time. You know, I was thinking, I I think I've discovered a solution for our traffic problems. Airplanes. No. The same concept they do for spring break. They don't let all the kids out at once. Why? Because it's chaos, right? So why have everybody start work at the same time and leave work at the same time? Break it apart during the day. You know? Coming together as, like, I don't know, the governors or the mayors or something. Break down the schedule. Have a group of people go in at 11 a.m. Have a group come in at 7 a.m. But technically, I think there is stuff like that. It's just, like, predominantly... It's a nine to six. I just feel like, like it's always that. Like it's always been nine to five. That's that, that's the daily grind. They should just continue on with remote work. Oh, 
no, like, bro. I don't like the remote work. I like the hands-on stuff. Well, for you, it's different. Like, you have to yeah. be hands-on. But like everything the remote work might mitigate a lot of people on the road for you, though. Yeah. A lot of the and work like, I've ever done was hands-on. When I studied mechanic, yeah. working on cars, that's hands-on. All your hands stuff on. is hands-on that you Baking is hands-on. This is hands-on. Like, yeah. it's... If I'm not doing something with my hands, I feel like I'm not doing anything. Okay. It's kind of weird like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, tell me what's next for Joe. Well, what's the... Well, What's the end game? What do you have happening? End game, like what we have, like um, my wife Aaron and I, we're, we're thinking about like doing like, um, and a couple other people are doing like a non-charitable uh, organization of like helping youth and like in betterment of themselves and like teaching them like how to get into school, like kind of still centered around basketball, but teaching them like life skills. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, like she's a great baker, a great cook teach them how to make meals um myself education wise of like teaching like geography or doing a french course or not like i'm like some french like teacher or anything but giving them like a different avenue of like showing them like because we could schedule like online training for them with different languages and whatnot um stuff like that that's what that's what one of our focuses is on right now but Coaching is going to be one of those. Like, we have a great group of guys that I coach right now. My uh, One of our coaches, Mario, um, that, that we're working on. Like, we have a great group um, mm-hmm. getting them into college. It's That's one of the rewarding things is, like, seeing them graduate in high school and seeing them going off to college. And when So I you turn only coach on high school, right? Only high school. Um, okay. Turning on the TV and seeing your guys on TV, mm-hmm. it's it's phenomenal, man. Like, you, you have ESPN Plus and you're clicking through. Like, we're like, all right, so-and-so player – is playing on this channel we're going to watch them like this year we have two of our guys that that we coach that are playing in new york like around christmas time they're playing against each other division one players and that's awesome where actually break that down to me i don't understand i don't know the the, those things what's division one compared to like nba and what are these things so it's so anything with divisions is basically college okay so nba is something obviously totally different pro right yeah that's pro division one is like Le plus haut niveau, like the highest level, mm-hmm. um, and then you have Division Two and Three, all of which are phenomenal places to be playing. So when the like NBA is is recruiting a player, right? Are they doing it from Division One, Two, and Three, or just three? Probably just one. Um, okay. Like probably ninety nine point nine percent of the time, they're looking at only Division One players. Okay. Um, that's the closest that resembles what they're trying to do, and that's gotcha. where you get the draft and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Like this summer, like I did a basketball camp. Next summer, I'm doing a basketball camp with a group of Frenchmen, Germans, and maybe some UK guys, um, bringing them to DC. We did like a little preliminary thing this past summer um, with the club that I'm the director of. So we're gonna try to bring that again, and like we're gonna try to travel. I should be going to Europe next year um, to do some stuff, um, going to do some basketball camps. Um, also with the charitable organization, like some of the guys that I'm involved with. Um, some of the guys are into baseball, football, and baseball. Obviously, you have Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Colombia mm-hmm. that we're looking to maybe um, travel to. And you're like and trying to stay in DC, right? You're not trying to leave. Not DC. really, just because like I'm like my kids are there, and like I want to give them an opportunity, like sports-wise. DC area is very big into sports, and not just basketball. It's some football, American football, soccer, baseball, whatever it is, like. Um, because it's so competitive, like the reason somebody said this one time is the D.C. area is so competitive, like within parents themselves, that they pass it along to their kids. 
that your kids just become ultra competitive. Like my daughter, Viera, is probably one of the most competitive people I know. Like this morning before I left, like she just ran a 5K. She's seven. What? This morning. Well, if I ran a 5K, I would, I need a defibrillator. She, she ran a 5K this morning. That's crazy. At seven years old. And what, she was she running on a treadmill or did she go outside? On a track. It was like a, it was like a, oh, she, it was an it was, event. Gotcha. It was a charity event at the gotcha, school that gotcha, I coach gotcha. at. And like, there was like, I don't know how many people, probably a hundred or something that were running. And I'm not being biased. I, at least I don't think so. I don't remember seeing any kid her age cross the line yet until she did. Um, but she she loves to run. She's competitive. Loves soccer, basketball. Great spirit. Um, she sounds like a Saint Louis. Oh bro. <laughs> yeah, like she, she's big spirit, man. Like she has all the, the energy. Uh, those Saint Louis, they play all the sports. That's all of them, man. It's like, and then my middle son Arrow, he's he's laid back. He likes basketball, but he doesn't want to be anything outdoors. I took him to soccer. He he's competitive too. Like all my kids are competitive, um, but he's more of like let me chill inside. And then the last one, Bastion. Um, Bastien is like very um he's more like his sister extremely competitive wants to play outside wants to do stuff um he's two he'll be three in december and mm. like he's probably the one that would run another 5k or something with her uh with his sister but arrow like there's no way arrow our middle son would run a 5k like i like probably when he's older but like as of right now his character him being six gotcha. isn't something that he yeah. would do but yeah, that's that's our goals right now. Um, the wife and I, myself, is continue on with that. Professionally speaking, um, just keep developing and bringing good good followers um, together and um, create create good atmospheres um, for the world and br- putting good citizens of the world out um, yeah. either through Christianity or through um, just being good people. Like being yeah. good people is like obviously everything. Um, like how we grew up is like you you want to see good people prevail yeah for sure 100 percent. yeah well bro, we should wrap this up man i know we're getting hungry <laughs> so we yeah get some food but man i really appreciate the you conversation have to tell it me was, some good spots man take me somewhere good bro, man. i got you i mean like, dude it's 1 38 a.m so yeah. I, I don't know we're gonna figure out where we're gonna go we gotta but, go uh, quick i guess we got no nah, there's a lot of places open in miami still okay. so we're, we're not we're not worried about it but yeah man, i really appreciate you coming down man i hope it wasn't too much of a for you this was like here, one of the most pleasurable things like anytime you it, need <laughs> me if we want to continue on some other time yeah, i, w- like, I want to do a like, g an unsanctioned un g14 classified episode so we're not recording it <laughs> so we wouldn't record it <laughs> we, we could do off the record for uh, that one. <laughs> off the record not 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 recorded but it'd be awesome man i definitely appreciate you bringing me out no, and thank like you, bro. I appreciate this it, is man. this is something i love seeing my friends like doing something that they're passionate about like yeah I, I honestly feel like i am more passionate about my friend's passions when i see their passion oh yeah like it's weird i don't know if <laughs> that know even makes any yeah. sense it kind of gets moment, you excited man the moment i see like you're passionate about something a friend of mine is passionate like i get sometimes too passionate about it yeah like jacques when jacques was talking about moving out to dc like i probably was more excited for him than yeah. anything right like i was like man, now my like, boy's in russia bro. i was like yeah man like he's out there i'm like i'm that's my thing like he's so excited about the stuff i get super excited for him like yeah. when somebody i'm close with and i care about is excited about something like it's hard for me to restrain myself from yeah that. and the stories we get to share each other because we come we do so much different stuff so, so much it's, like it's your fun. life and my life is like so different yeah and like and we're living similar in, at, in the same similar time. at the same time yeah, yeah. but our mindset we definitely know is the same yeah it's just it's just awesome man 
Yeah. I appreciate coming out, man. Yeah, thank and you like, so much, man. All right, everybody, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Oliver Stone Podcast, Safe Journeys Across the Stars.